This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash lasertime and let them help you tell your story. Wes Craven's Nightmare Cafe is open for business. Nicole Kidman is a mail-order bride, and somebody found this footage of, like, superheroes? This week on 302010! Welcome everyone, 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you back on a trip across the decades, 30, 20, and 10 years ago. We are recording from the week of January 28th through February 3rd, across three decades. We're going to tell you what came out in 1992, 2002, and 2012, across the landscape of TV, music, movies, video games, and so very much more. Ah, My intro is a little out of source today, but I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and I'm Fraser Crane's secret first wife. I'm J.R. Rawls, and touch that remote, and you die. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, And i got to say right off the bat, Thank you to our patrons at patreon.com slash lasertime, especially executive producer Christopher Hare. Drop us five bucks, Patreon, give you extra stuff. Let's get into what happened in the world 30, 20, and 10 years ago. 30, 20, 10. This week is a weird one, just because it's it's not uninteresting. It's just no classics yeah. or masterpieces. But yeah, a, a bunch- there's good stuff in here, and TV is pretty interesting, but there's a lot of yeah, either 91 holdovers that are just sort of like, eh, or things that they had no faith in whatsoever. And they're and, often for good reason. Yeah, often for good reason. Next week it picks up, like, we start getting the bigger movies. And this is just a, a week of a lot of odd, smaller movies. And, and there's a movie I watched this week that involves two people we have kind of cast out, canceled, if you really must make me say that. And mm-hmm. I think one of them deserves a reevaluation and uh, find out hmm. as we move forward in the show. Anyway, moving forward. I swear forward. to God, if you're going to defend Harvey Weinstein. No. <laughs> oh, no. God. He probably did produce something in this. Oh, my God. He, he was, did. Uh, oh. Do people still There's talk about this on Reddit? They're probably going nuts right now. We, we should start a counter for how many shows we can go without mentioning a Harvey Weinstein it's, production. It's yeah, not our fault. If we're ever going to talk about the 90s, it is impossible. Yeah, it's like uh, we're either talking about an actress or one of his films. <laughs> Or Lord of the Rings, which he also has a stupid, fat name on. Sorry to body shame, but it's okay when you do it to Harvey Weinstein. Moving on with the show. January 28th through February 3rd, 302010, beginning as we always do with the, well, as we just started to do. 1992, where were you 30 years ago? I'd like to say happy Groundhog Day to everyone out there. Oh. I know we all celebrate. Yeah. I observe. And uh, a little well, bit of wait, news. In 1992, Groundhog Day is not synonymous with the cruel wheel of karma yet. Oh, it's just true. the day where there is a groundhog right. in Pennsylvania. There's, I, I did want to be like, uh, put your boots on because it's cold outside. Like, that hasn't happened yeah. yet. That's like Not, later yeah. in the year. I think it's this year. No, I'm JR shaking his head. 93? 93. Yeah. 93. You didn't have to shake your head like I was way off. Like, <laughs> of all the years that have ever happened since Jesus, I was one off. <laughs> uh, on February 2nd in the news, 1992, two things happened. And... If you Both were equally important, if you were able to answer me and you told me what you thought was important, I could probably tell you how old you are. Because the first one is Bush and uh, Boris Yeltsin declare an official end to the Cold War, which I'm not sure that's how Cold Wars work. No. Well, it was always a state of mind more than an actual legal state of high intention. 
Um, yeah, so that's it's, why it's, it's a cold war, not a hot war where they're shooting. I know, right. but it still feels like me coming up to YouTube like, guys, guess what? I'm not crazy anymore. Like, it's not really <laughs> up for you to decide. History will need to judge. But it kind of reminded me that it wasn't that long ago that the mayor of Rome and the mayor of Carthage signed a peace treaty because, no <laughs> you, really, you can Google it, oh because they never officially ended the war. So they were like, oh, why don't we just officially end it? Uh, bygones be bygones. <laughs> we're sorry we salted the earth. Uh, let's sign this copy of the Aeneid. I'm sorry. <laughs> what but yeah, it was fuck? a huge deal in 1992. And you cannot understand 90s optimism without taking in the end of the Cold War. Because growing up, I I was as young as you can be and still remember the Cold War as a real thing. Like, any younger than me, and it's too blurry. But even at that young of age, 13, I was like, I can't believe this. This is huge. I expected to live in the Cold War atmosphere for my entire life. And it Mm -hmm. ending was this just, like, victory. Huge, huge victory, just joyously so. I I, I have... Those memories are becoming super vague. I'm still not sure about them, but I think, like, my first two or three years in elementary school, we still had nuclear drills and those slowly went away or were transferred into tornado drills because that was seemingly more possible but yeah like i was living at the very end of that we you we are people in our age group know the duck and cover song or like the phenomenon but like that was so long ago uh even at this point 30 years ago it's like 60 years ago but we were still familiar with growing up with the red panic if i could still Mm -hmm. call it that well i just remember in 92 being like there, there were all these places you could suddenly travel to. Mm-hmm. That idea, like back in the day, you couldn't just go to Russia for funsies. Yeah. Like you can't vacation, and there's all this stuff you want to see. Like I would see the Hermitage and you know Basil, St. Basil Cathedral, and all that. You, you John weren't Lennon's allowed tomb. to go to huge chunks of the world because you're an American. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's like, how things? Who wants change. to go to Bucharest? <laughs> Yay! Yay! That sounds. Great. I still don't know why people travel to Russia on vacation. Never mind. I'll, I don't need to say that. They have cool shit. That's uh, why. Why I, travel look, anywhere? They I have can, cool shit. I'm a fan of comic books. I called What If one of my favorite shows. Russia is the coolest, like, what if America never happened and white people just split off in this other branching direction? That's Russia. If we never got past uh, metal knobs and uh, wood-lined walls, that's Russia. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. If it works, it works. Um, and then, so, you know, if you were alive in 1992, did you care about that, the end of the Cold War? Or did you care that Michael Jackson's Remember the Time premiered on ABC, NBC, Fox, MTV, and BET simultaneously on the same day? And uh, I couldn't fit that into music, couldn't fit it into TV, but uh, there it is. And it's something that you can definitely remember because either you were a kid and like very there for it or your your primetime programming was interrupted completely on five channels to watch a nine-minute music video directed by John Singleton starring Magic Johnson, Amon, and Eddie Murphy. Um, yep. And we're going to talk about MJ again in the TV section ah, for boo. 2012. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, wait, that's right. Yeah. But I mean, after Black or White, which was like so huge and crazy, and then it had like the controversial part at the end, everyone was like, oh, no, what's this one going to be? And it's just really cool. Mm-hmm. I think no there's... controversy. There's some cool special effects where he like does a spin and he turns into sand and... I don't, uh, I don't listen I've to Michael. Many listen... times that Iman should just dress like that all the time. <laughs> I don't listen to Michael Jackson anymore, but uh, if I did listen to things from this album, I like this song the most. And I like, yeah. I think the video is pretty cool because uh, it's like 
with adult eyes, I can see the budget. It's very big. It is yes. <laughs> giant Egyptian set on the Universal backlot and well choreographed dances. It's very, very big. It's not as it was not as interesting with the morphing faces and pumas as black or white, but you know, what can be it's gonna be better than jam, and hopefully I won't have to mention that again. Uh, but moving on to the movies of nineteen ninety two, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle is still number one at the box office. What a crazy sleeper hit. Shit, that's a month. It's been there a month. That's pretty that's pretty crazy. Like a nine million dollar movie as big a star as Ernie Hudson <laughs> sitting here at number one at the box office. And the other movies are Probably going to explain why that's still the case. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, yeah. Let's run through a couple of these pretty fast. Hard Promises with Sissy Spacek and William Peterson is kind of like the setup for a sitcom Mm. that just never became a sitcom where it's like, okay, they were married, but William Peterson, he's off. He's like the wind, baby. He's going to go off and be a cowboy. And so she's like, well, then I'm going to divorce you because you're not here. And then he comes back and it's like, but we're meant to be together. Oh, how will she choose? (laughs) <laughs> choose whether to make this a movie or a play boring yeah. i mean i like seeing a romantic comedy starring older folks sure that's yeah. nice since space is not an older folk yet eh, well she doesn't look a... like she's a college sophomore so okay. yeah yes she is yeah into the sun i'd best describe that as hard way meets top gun Yes. Um, Anthony Michael Hall plays an actor who wants to be in a jet fighter role and he gets into it and becomes all too real. What the There's fuck? only one good line in this movie, I'd say, where one of the real pilots is talking to Anthony Michael Hall, who is an actor playing an actor, and he's saying, This is really unrealistic. Your character's about to die. And he says, I'm going into the sun and it's supposed to be this big, deep moment. And the actor says, okay, well, what would you say if you're going down and you're about to die? Well, I'd probably say I'm about to die. Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. Oh shit. Mm, classic. <laughs> Does he still look like a kid in this movie? Yeah. No, not no, really. I mean, oh, wait, he, he'll transition really suddenly to being kind of jacked, you it's, know, think it, like Edward Scissorhands. It is nuts. Cause before Edward, Edward Scissorhands, he was the scrawny nerdy, I haven't hit my growth spurt kid in movies and then instantly grew into the bully role up until Halloween kills as recently as Halloween kills, which was great. Think of it from his perspective in January in 1992. He has two movies coming out within weeks of each other, Mm. this and a gnome named Norm. I mean, was he like excited about that or was he like going, ah, this is it. He probably bought a beach house he can't afford. Bills need to be paid. Mm. No one's taking me seriously as an adult yet. Pay my dues. Pay my bills. Keep on moving forward. Oh, and I, I don't know that I've ever wanted to see a movie less than the one with this title. Oh, well, you are missing out, my friend. Oh, really? No. Yeah. Hear My Song with Adrian Dunbar, David McCallum, and especially Ned Beatty is... There, I need a good name for this genre because we've talked about this genre over and over. Hmm. The, the delightful British Isles charming film about eccentric cute peoples oh like you know uh, you're waking ned divine ned divine uh um, cute Brit cute yeah the lovely and amazing calendar girls stuff like that where it's just you know small town eccentric extremely british or irish like hope cuteness. floats for england and <laughs> <laughs> so here my song is adorable it's about this irish guy who's got a club he says he's going to bring on this singer who is like famous and now reclusive and no one can find him. Turns out it's just an impersonator. So kind of like uh, Tim and Eric's billion dollar movie, which I just oh. saw was a clue on Jeopardy the other day. What? And Tim and Eric lost their shit. 
and I, I'm so happy for them. But anyway, so it's, it's an imposter, and this guy decides, I'm going to go find the real guy who's played by Ned Beatty, and he goes to extremely rural Ireland, and things are extremely Irish and charming and cute, and everyone wears sweaters, and it's just goddamn adorable. And it's on YouTube for free. It's amazing. And nice. it, it won the BAFTA for best comedy. So I shouldn't shit on it too much. Yeah, Pretty important if you live in England. Just, there, yeah, there has to be something about yeah, rural British Isles gentle comedies. Deep England is that <laughs> genre when it comes to literature. Hmm. I'm going to call it the straw dog genre. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, there's so many of these. It's like I, I don't know if I've seen any bad ones because they just end up being charming even if they're like an extended sitcom episode you just get so charmed by everyone being so cute and lovable mm-hmm. and yeah here my song is like it's a it's a showcase for ned Beatty. that's insane <laughs> but he's he's a lot of fun that's insane did we lose him last year r.i.p ned Beatty. Mm. and uh our final two films that i have never heard of what do we got tracy lind dieter kirch lechner i'm assuming Barbara uh, Sokoa and Julie Delphi and Sam Shepard in Voyager. Voyager. From Academy Award-winning director Volker Schlondorf, Voyager. Walter Faber is a man of distinction. Spent three months in the jungle. Feels like I never left. He's known many women. I can't keep on roving around the world forever. And loved only one. You didn't want to get married. I asked you. But even a man like Walter Faber can't help falling in love again. I tried my best to read about this movie and pretend to be interested, but it did not seem... I don't know. Did one of you end up seeing this? This is viewable. I I, I skimmed a little bit of it. I will like to point out there's another forced landing, and it's continuing the 30-20-10 of ever-increasing size of plane crashes. Ah. (laughs) Two weeks ago, Red Tails, it was a single fighter. Mm -hmm. Then in gray, last week, it was a small little 20-person. And here we've got a giant jumbo plane crashing. So, you know, I guess next week we should look for the shuttle crashing or something. (laughs) The shuttle crashing into a a 747. That's like the third week of this this show's existence. Uh, If you go back to that, those were the episodes. That's true. Yeah, one of our very first episodes was the the shuttle exploding. explosion. This is, uh, no, no, Volker Schlondorf. I love saying that name. Uh, he did the tin. He did the tin drum, which makes some people uncomfortable because there's some children exploring their sexuality. Huh. This should make everyone uncomfortable because I'm just going to spoil it. Sam Shepard hooks up with Julie Delpy, and she turns out to be his daughter. I how did oh. I not get that far in the description? Oh yes. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, it's about, you know, this guy and it's like it's shot on all these like he he's traveling all over the world and he's just doesn't really care about other people too much. He seems sort of Don Drapery and it's just like he's not very emotionally can't let people in. I got to like and, and then he meets someone and oh, the girl I used to I'm in love with is divorced. Let's do this. And <laughs> didn't get to didn't get to the old boy yeah. portion of it. Yeah. And that <laughs> just the point is that that leads him in bad directions. Yeah. You have to care about other people or you're going to accidentally fuck your family members. <laughs> That's an important lesson we should all learn. Yeah, I think G.I. Joe explained that at the end of some episode. <laughs> <laughs> and knowing who you're related to is half the battle. Yo, Joe. <laughs> yeah. You know, another lesson. Melanie Griffith cannot be taken seriously. Ooh. Huh. She's so good at comedy. She's so good at light comedy. I have nothing against her for that, but I don't trust her as a spy. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. Uh 
And yes, just read about this movie, the John Gilgood, Jolie Richardson, Liam Neeson, <laughs> not even credited first, Melanie Griffith, and uh, Michael Douglas in Shining Through. She never meant to fall in love. You're a spy, Mr. Leland. And you've seen too many movies, Miss Foss. He never meant to put her in danger. I will quit if you don't let me go. I'll miss you. No. He must risk his life. I've got to get her out of there. To save hers. A first-rate thriller rates Gene Shelley. Michael Douglas and Melanie Griffith heat up the screen. Shining through. <laughs> so it's it's a major plot point in this film that Melanie Griffith's character is Michael Douglas's daughter. No, okay. Be a spy right. from watching the movies, and that she becomes involved in this because of the movies. But at no point in this film is it ever like revealed that her knowledge is garbage and you shouldn't learn your career from the movies. So it definitely <laughs> feels like it's a bit of Hollywood going. You know, we're really great. Yeah, we're so good <laughs> at storytelling. Really great, we should replace huh? colleges. I. Didn't watch this because the first thing I looked up, like, sort of swept the Razzies or the big ones at the Razzies. Five uh, Razzie yeah. nominations yeah. took home three. Including mm. Best Picture and Be and Melanie Griffith for Worst Actress. Oh, yeah. No no one liked this movie. The critics didn't like it. The public didn't like it. It just suddenly occurred to me that, oh, Liam Neeson and Jolie Richardson are running around this movie. And eventually they're going to be siblings-in-law. But not yet. Two years from now. How he's going to marry her sister. He is? Who? Natasha Richardson. Michael Douglas did? Oh. No, Liam Neeson. My bad. Sorry. That's where I was getting confused. How is Catherine Zeta-Jones related to Antonio Banderas? Zora. <laughs> there, we did it. Yeah, no, it's just like, okay, so Michael Douglas like works for the OSS, which is, you know, the predecessor of the CIA, and Melanie Griffith goes undercover in Nazi Germany to try to get their, like, V1 rocket info, and, you know, she's working with Liam Neeson, he falls in love with her, and now there's a love triangle, and it's just like... Nah. It, it, it made spying look way too easy. <laughs> like, you know, you, you just kind of stand around and eventually someone will give you the information you need or know. hook you up with the job you needed. Or it just so happens that that's his wife. And you're like, oh, well, thanks. Just stand around and be a spy. I can do it. That's good. Can I can I do it from bed? I like taking naps. It does seem like some real Chris Antista sixth, fifth grade logic right there. I've seen enough Tarantino movies to be a hitman. I can do this. <laughs> yeah. Shining through, not so much. Justifiably forgotten. Yeah, Hear my of, song? You should watch that one. It looks like it's sort of uh, brought down. It is directed by David Seltzer, who was a pretty famous writer up until that point. Uh, wrote The mm -hmm. Omen and apparently uncredited work on Willy Wonka, including the song Pure Imagination. Uh, also what? brought yeah, uh, brought us this movie, and he directed a couple films and went right back to writer after this. After this, hmm. after this film. Uh, but an interesting career nonetheless. The Omen is great. Moving on to television. J.R. agreed before Diana got here. This might be where this gets most interesting because I'd never heard of this at all. Did, did you? I Yeah. I, I watched the, the next show. Oh, man. I was not ready. Because I like my horror and sci-fi anthology shows, man. Oh. I was a huge fan when this came out and uh, was really distressed when it got canceled because I wanted to remember what it was, but this is before the internet. And as the years passed, I kept saying to people, do you remember that show? Oh, no, It was a cafe. No one knew what I was talking about for like years and years and years until the internet finally came along and I looked it up. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Wes Craven coming to television to NBC, in fact, on January 29th with the show Nightmare Cafe. Why don't you give me the gun? 
What if you could get a second chance? Am what? I dead or what? What would you pay? For a second chance, would you face your worst nightmare? At the Nightmare Cafe. What's the special tonight? From the genius of Wes Craven. Oh, God help us. A show that will seduce you, thrill you, and move you. I want this place to be magic. You only get one second chance. We can help them. Nightmare Cafe, next Friday on NBC. Ooh, how to describe Nightmare Cafe? Like a Twilight Zone with a living... Uh... More of a horror thing. Can I just yeah. throw this out before, you know, people listening Wait. screaming? The very best tree house of horror. Yeah. Nightmare Cafeteria. Ah. Yeah, a reference to Nightmare Cafe. Yeah. Yep, yeah. that's the one where uh, the school is now eating all the children, also along with the Shining and the Time Toaster one. Mm -hmm. But what happened was Wes Craven was wanting to come up with an anthology series, and he came up with uh, two characters that he really liked, and he decided, well, what if they just continue from story to story? And then he came up with the idea of the cafe being this weird interdimensional time place where people come in to get a second chance while we have our two main characters go through their own personal journey throughout the uh, episodes. Mm. I think that was a mistake. I think the series mm. would have worked better as just a strict anthology because the first episode is some really amazing television for 1992. It's a recursive time loop where both of the two main characters are traveling back into their past and interacting with each other. Like the man tells the woman a joke at the cafe and she says she's heard it before. And he's like, how could you have heard that before? I just made it up on the spot. And then later when he travels back in time to see her, he tells her the joke for the first time for her, but for the second time for him. Whoa. And in 1992, that was like kapow for my little 13 year old. <laughs> it's the kind brain. of thing that wasn't on. I, I was just trying to get a sense of the show watching some YouTube clips. And it's just, yeah, it's somewhere in between. Quantum Leap, The Twilight Zone, and Twin Peaks. It seemed it, it wants to have a vibe to it. And it is looks fucking interesting. I cannot believe it this is. lasted six episodes. It, it wasn't was... afraid to get dark either. There's a kid who is on life support and he dies. They oh, they he, they have his ghost come into the cafe and he's like, You guys can see me? I've been in a coma for so long. And it's like, he's gonna die. There's no doubt about that. The quest is to get his father and mother to accept his death. And then there's another episode hmm. where a detective is in the process of getting shot. And he walks into the cafe and he looks out the door and he can see a bullet starting to enter him. And he's got to try to solve the one murder that has been haunting him because he's a detective and he never solved hmm. this one murder before hmm. the bullet reaches his heart. And he oh. dies too. So for 1992 television to kill a kid and a police officer, <laughs> that that's some, not groundbreaking, but certainly brave in its own way, 1992 yeah. network television. Did we even say that Robert England is the Rod Serling here? Like Freddy Krueger is once again hosting an anthology show? Yeah. And he's a delightful Greek chorus. He breaks the fourth <laughs> wall. So I'm probably the only one who can say this in 2022, but I watched... All six episodes uh, this last week. And they're enjoyable. Uh, one's a dud, but the other five are still solid, enjoyable pieces that you can find on YouTube. Robert England is m very much playing to the camera. He's talking to the audience in a way that is very endearing. Um, and there's this 
lovely little touch where you don't know is he good or is he evil because he's usually the guy pressuring the people who walk into the cafe to take the evil option and there's <laughs> one point when one of the guys goes into the white bright presumably happy afterlife and blackie the character robert england plays averts his eyes like he doesn't want to see the light so hmm. i don't know if that was intentional if they were planning like longer character arcs for him but it was a nice touch nice i i do remember this rerunning on sci-fi and yes. i had the vague idea that sci-fi saved it but no they just picked up those six episodes that were made and ran them that, like early on in sci-fi's run where they were still running like wonder woman that is which i loved such a bizarre construct that is something i think will die with our generation because mm. if i can i'm gonna i'm gonna skip the, the next one real fast because i think that's a great segue into capital critters which i was a <laughs> massive animation fan and to, to, to illustrate how long it takes animation to make before computers, this is what is ABC's example of like, let's rip off The Simpsons. And it takes two years, <laughs> two years <laughs> to get this on the air. And it says, described, it's an animated sitcom about the lives of mice and rats and roaches who reside in the basements and walls of the White House. The White House in Washington, D.C. is supposed to air in primetime, which is why I think it merits mentioning. This is not a Saturday morning cartoon. This is supposed to appeal to children and adults. The Simpsons of ABC. It was much hyped. It was Hanna-Barbera's return to primetime television. And... Wow. Their final. Wow. Their final. This is much better animation than I ever it's, uh, associate with Hanna Barbera. It's damn near straight to video. It really is. It, it, but it's it's much better than what you typically think of if you think of like a Yogi Scooby Pac y show that Hanna Barbera crap they they threw around in the the eighties nineties. I think it is kind of, it's created by Steven Bochco. Oh, <laughs> uh, coming off of the pain of Cop Rock. Yeah. And going straight into this it's so weird that this is coming out uh in january 92 because i don't know why i associated this with the clinton white house i guess it's because this show is on the air during the very very beginnings of the presidential race of 92 right it, probably oh. because they thought they'd get it on the air a year sooner the, the first mm -hmm. episode if that's not a sample of george hw bush's voice it's a very good impersonator but the mice run away from the presidential cats but the weird thing about it is not only like its visual style is is a visual style is still very kitty and very like kind of but like have either of you read the graphic novel mouse yeah i love yeah. mouse yeah yeah the beginning of this is a fairly brutal oh, guessing yes. of the entire protagonist family in this very dark way it's like he sees his mother clawing at a gate and being gassed to death. It's it's oh, it's God. It's the the content. And that child is played by Neil Patrick. Neil Patrick. Harris? And it's a baby Neil Patrick Harris. There's no puberty happening with him yet. So it's just a kid <laughs> watching its family die, and they tell him run away to Washington. You know because pesticides. And <laughs> it's this this show is so crazy. And I ended up uh, I was obsessed. I tried to find it. They moved it around. It it lasted one more episode than Nightmare Cafe. It lasted seven <laughs> episodes. But not unlike what you were mentioning with Nightmare Cafe went on to air on Sci-Fi Channel and Chiller and Universal's Horror Channel because it was worth rediscovering. When Cartoon Network started out, they didn't have any original programming. We're just like leaning on Hanna-Barbera's backlog. Three years later, the final six episodes of Capital Critters would see the light of day on Cartoon Network and because they would air it every day at 7 p.m. There were promos for Capital Critters, a show that had ceased production three years ago and had made 13 episodes. Uh, and I watched it 
almost every day and like, man, this is fucking great and terrible. It's so terrible. <laughs> I, I don't know who this is for, right. though, because I only watched no. the pilot episode. The jokes are pitched towards maybe a smart six-year-old, but all the rats are scuzzy assholes. The storyline in the first episode is not something that would engage a smart six-year-old, no. and the parents would not find any of the jokes funny. So... I don't get who it's for. That's and I think that's somewhere along the line a lot of punches were pulled and ABC's like we're not you are not allowed to put content on this network like the Simpsons even though that's why this is here. And I have a, from later in the episode they would try and tackle harder things like fucking gun control and gentrification. <laughs> I'm not and and this is this is this is them tackling race and oh, no. oh oh and the rats are confronting uh, another species, uh, roaches, and roaches are portrayed by people who are ethnic in any way. Hey, Mose. Yo, little brother. I'm helping these two with their move. They used to be my neighbors. Now they're going to be your neighbors. No way, Jack. First of all, this is my place. I found it this morning. They found it last week. You got a second of all? Yeah, they're roaches. What difference does that make? Shh, Max, be quiet. Just pack up your crap and beat it, you bugheads, now! This isn't personal, believe me. It's just your filth. It's, it's the, it's, the, tone, wow. the tone is so uh, bizarre, because is this trying to achieve some like Saturday morning all-in-the-family kind of... These are our heroes talking to the roaches, by the way. Mother, mm. Max is the only voice of reason. I find this show incredibly bizarre, and one of the coolest misfires I've ever seen in my life. Because everywhere that like The Simpsons was unprepared for success... Capital Crew's like, we're going to have merchandise ready. We're going to have Burger King tie-ins. We're going to be so ready when this thing's a hit. And it was a colossal flop. And almost mm-hmm. everyone involved kind of suffered as a result of Capital Crew's existence. <laughs> it, and it, and it, like JR said, it is for no one. It is painful for an adult to watch. And then even if you're a smart kid, like, I think I know what they're talking about, but that wasn't funny. And then... <laughs> And The Simpsons has way better ways of handling this. But uh, Capital mm. Critters, like I, to see this on another network by another animation company, I think is a fucking great idea. Just maybe not for ABC. But Capital Critters, I can't ever stop thinking about it. It's and it's it's part of this is how successful The Simpsons was. ABC mm. needed an adult cartoon in prime time. And, so uh, better or worse than Fish Police? Uh, way better than Fish. Police. Oh wow! Oh, okay. high praise indeed. <laughs> You're going to have all the fishies come after oh, you for that mm. comment. I feel confident that I can uh, stand up to him. And <laughs> and uh, I like Diana said, also most famous for a Treehouse of Horror joke that showed the tombstones of every Simpsons wannabe. And oh. yeah, Fish Police and Capital Critters. That's what those jokes are in the fourth or fifth Treehouse of Horror. Uh, everyone is stepped to the Simpsons because no one can step to the Simpsons. I'm moving back to uh, Billy. I, I, did, I didn't watch Head of the Class. Did, mm. did you? I watched it. Yeah. Because yeah. I watched was, everything. Occasionally. Was he on uh, head of the class? So there were two head of the class teachers. There's mm-hmm. the one you're probably thinking of. And then there was probably some contract dispute or whatever. He just was got tired of being on a boring sitcom. He said, I'm out. And mm-hmm. I went, well, these kids are, are only 23. Obviously, they need another teacher. <laughs> so they brought in a I- Scottish, not Very Irish, Scottish. a Scottish teacher. And he... Mm-hmm busted through a couple of seasons and at the end of that they were like well obviously this guy needs his own show and it he does because billy Connolly is a fucking treasure 
and one of the funniest people that's ever lived. However, he does not belong on TGIF. He belongs wherever he's allowed to swear and drink. Right. And yeah. and to to how this is such a bad fit for him. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but Billy Connolly gets his own head of the class spin-off. Whew. Billy. That's me, Billy McGregor. I came to America from Scotland, just like Rod Stewart. I don't know what happened to him, but I teach at a community college in California. Me and America, made for each other. Until my work permit expired and I didn't know what to do. Luckily, one of my night school students had a problem too. My ex-husband... I bet they got married! Uh, they got married mm. and then he became a teacher? Man. Okay, so was this concept so complex that they felt they needed to explain it at the start of every single yeah, you, episode. You know, little kids like, little kids watching TGF, where did he get his work visa? <laughs> <laughs> did he legally adopt Johnny Galecki or is it more of a step-parent situation? Yeah, Johnny Galecki was on this. Holy <laughs> Just imagine if at the start of every episode of Who's the Boss, Tony Danza <laughs> came on and said, you know, some people think I'm the boss. Other people think Angela's the boss. In this series, we will explore, even though I work for why I might be the boss. That did, uh, that did used to have to happen, and I, uh, I love this. We, I think we did a whole laser time about that because TV would literally do that so people wouldn't be confused. Mm. They'd have to write a theme song to tell them like this is where it picks up. This is why Gilligan's stuck on an island, or these robots are stuck in space watching movies. Don't yeah. worry about it. We got you. This uh, is unfair. Yes, <laughs> Billy Connolly is. Absolutely fucking hilarious. And What's the best thing Billy Connolly has been in? Uh, see. Fido? I mean, he was on, uh, he's had a whole bunch of stand-up specials for a jillion years. Those are, you know. Obviously, it's Boondock oh, Saints recorded. 2. Boondock Saints 2. <laughs> um, what, the the last of the Hobbit movies, he pops up in there. Like, oh, really? Um, the Imposters. I will always give a shout out to that movie. He is fucking amazing in it, where he challenges uh, Oliver Platt to wrestle and says like I once wrestled a man wearing not but what God gave me on the steps of the Acropolis at high noon that's where I'll wrestle you that's where I'll make you a man it, to, to me I love that movie so much. Billy Connolly is like one of my favorite talk show guests and I haven't seen yes. him in a while so yes, I gotta he, well he, he has Parkinson's so oh, he's balls. retired unfortunately <sighs> which is tough for someone who's such a motor mouth he speaks like a mile a minute yeah yeah very, but, like if yeah. his accent was just a little less thick he could have think he could have gotten some cred ferguson love yeah. and uh lastly but not leastly sitcom wise we got cheers one hugs the other doesn't i've i don't i have not seen this episode i've seen very little cheers to be honest this is <laughs> hilarious it's widely considered one of the funniest episodes of cheers and i rewatched it and many times if i rewatch anything sitcom wise from the 80s or 90s i'm like how could i enjoy this but this is a delight start to finish it cheers never had an off season like there's some episodes that are better than others but they went 11 seasons where yeah you're always gonna get at least one good laugh out of them even even to this day i rewatched this one too because i had a vague memory of it but i didn't realize who the guest star was back then we can talk about it now so um Frazier and Lilith's son is having a second birthday and he wants to see this uh, children's performer named Annie G who turns out to be Frazier's first wife that he never told Lilith about and is played by Emma Thompson. What? Frazier yes. has a yep. son? Yes. <laughs> I've seen a lot of Frazier. I never saw his kid. <laughs> yeah. He 
pop up occasionally. Yeah, but yeah, he wasn't a big plot point on the show. Uh, they didn't want to focus on that. But well, why, Cheers... this, why this bar fly never goes home? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's a two-year-old. Oh, yeah. Really? Uh, but... but yeah, not telling your wife you were previously married is kind of a big no-no in my opinion. But watching this episode, you just don't care because the jokes are flying left and right. All the bar flies act how you'd expect them to act, but in such a yep. natural and organically funny way that yeah, flows like, obviously, from one to the next. Yeah, obviously, Woody is also a huge fan of this ch- children's entertainment. Obviously, yeah. Obviously. It's fucking great. Emma Thompson, amazing singing voice. It's like, she she really sings and yeah, does a really good she, job. She, and she, she sees Frasier and immediately wants him back. And that yeah. turned canonical, where then on Frasier, there was another appearance by this character, but now she wasn't Emma Thompson. She was uh, Laurie Metcalf. Oh, okay. So years later, this comes back up. But yeah, Emma Thompson doing a pretty good American accent, cute, adorable, jumping around. And in six weeks, we talk about her first Oscar. Suck it, Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> also, Spencer Grammer uh, appears in it briefly. His daughter, who does the voice on Rick and Morty. Oh, uh, and there's a big old cat fight. So if you want to see B.B. Newworth and Emma Thompson fucking pull each other's hair and scratch and claw, <laughs> and everyone goes, girl, fight, girl, fight. Also- Somewhere there is someone that is their kink. And you're welcome. We also have uh, video games to speak of, 1992, the 28th to February 3rd. Dune is out on PC, and boy, do I know nothing about it. What's so that about? I, it's, it's about the novel Dune, Spice. and it is the most accurate novel to game I can think of. Because Jesus. the creators modeled the gameplay on the novel. Most of the time when you're doing an adaptation, you're like, okay... We've already got an idea for this run and gun platform or whatever. How can we shoehorn the novel into it or Hmm. book or movie or TV show, whatever. Here, the designers went like, okay, this is the novel. We are going to design our systems around it. And for 1992, it's got some really amazing open world characters. Uh, There's a day-night cycle. Uh, They have a Bioware-ish talk system where when you talk to someone, they kind of remember it later on, and that affects your companionship. This is also an adventure strategy hybrid, which is a genre I've never heard of before. Your objective is to get allies while mining spice, and you can uh, use ecology as a weapon. And it has possibly, in my opinion, the first serious love scene in any video game. There's been plenty of not so serious love scenes in video (laughs) games before this. Custer's Revenge, for those who know. Yeah. But I think this is the first like adult, adult, non leisure suit Larry handling of a love scene in a video. Press F, press F, press F, press F. (laughs) (laughs) And we are go. This came out in January. To the best of my knowledge, Dune Two is going to come out in December, making this an Irish twin of video games. Whoa! (laughs) You never see that outside of a Pokemon. And then Die Hard NES is out. Uh, Might be one of the worst Die Hard games. I'd say so. The only saving grace is it has a foot meter. As far as I know, it's the only game. (laughs) I'm not making this up. Oh, you stepped on glass again. Exactly. That's exactly (laughs) the game mechanic. Man, so... (laughs) NES games are so specific to plot details and films. They're just so abysmal. And it's also the only game, I think... It's not very clear, but there is a Reginald Vell Johnson sprite that you can see at least see the <laughs> three quarters of his head. I think this might have come out of earlier, but I, I know 
we stream this. This game is great. Monster in My Pocket for NES kind of came out, I think, significantly after the toy phenomenon. But it is a fun little creatures in a big world, like you're side-scrolling across a table, a kitchen. You're this little tiny Dracula or Frankenstein. Hey, Chris, what do you do with keys in video games? Collect them. No. In this one, you throw them at enemies as a, as a weapon. Oh, it's yeah. the only video game <laughs> I've ever heard of where instead of using keys to open doors, no, your keys are a weapon. You throw the keys at your enemies, of it's course. Super Mario 2, you can do both. Uh, oh, I know. I, I take it back. And then Arabian Fight for Arcade. I'm sure that's a sensitive portrayal of whatever's happening here. Yeah. It, <laughs> this is the most gorgeous 2D beat-em-up I have ever played. I cannot believe they are making this impressive of graphics in 1992. It is very much a Japanese company's version of Arabian Nights. You've got, you know, every cliche you can think of. Um, genies, uh, sandstorms, uh, mummies, uh, pyramids, uh, flying carpets, everything. And you've got, you know, your belly dancer protagonist who you can play as, grizzled old mentor you can play as, you know, any cliche you can think of, it's in this game. But it's done beautifully. And I, yeah. I don't think there's any distaste or dislike in it. It's just the Japanese going, this is a cool setting. Let's play with A great Final Fight clone from Sega. Hmm. Looking um, at pictures and they can't seem to tell the difference between Arabia and Egypt, but that's oh, no, okay. Or India. By the oh, way. Right, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's just that whole, you know, start in Morocco, end in Burma, and you know, that's, Arabia. By pirate that's one ship. thing. Yeah. It's all old timey. <laughs> It looked like old comics. Let's do this. Speaking of comics, we got some comics editions. JR, did you find these? Um, I did. So this is the month in which the final issue of the ALF comic book is published. It's issue ah! number 50. And I bring it up because the ALF TV show ended years ago. Yeah, like 88, so, 87? Mm. Is this the final death of ALF? Where it's uh, just like, that is a dead, dead property. He gets, a, he gets a talk show eventually, and... He had some TV uh, movies. Yeah, it's, it's, it, Project Alf. It, wow, we covered that early on 20, 30, 2010, like 96, because yeah. Diana saw it in Prague in yeah, the theater. Yeah, I, I will never get over that image of, oh, look, a movie theater. What are they showing? Something called Alf versus the U.S. Army, <laughs> and Martin Sheen is in it. I have gone insane. I swear to God, I am not oh. on drugs right now. What am I looking at? I am in Prague. Help me. I gotta, if, you, if we have any listeners in Prague... Get me that poster. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna need that poster as soon as you can get it. Oh, it wasn't even a real poster. It was like a, a sheet of colored computer paper that they just sort of m mocked up. What? <laughs> Here's the movie. It. Here's a picture. This is the Times, I guess. But yeah, they, I don't know. They, I don't speak Czech. I like it when uh, you get like an ecto cooler situation like this. Like we know this brand is gone, but this is still selling well. So why don't we just keep doing it for an additional few try years? try it again? Maybe someone will bite. Who knows? I'll always have affection for ALF, but it is undeniably stupid. And if you ever, we think, we think we covered that on the story of ALF. The network was embarrassed by ALF. The ratings were great, but just that we have a kid's show in primetime. Kids will grow out of this and stop watching. We got to get rid of this thing before it becomes a disaster and sort of canceled it too soon. And it had another decade of I don't want to say relevance but like it reruns like it was all over the place remember when Hulu started like 10 years ago it's just like we got ALF we got every episode of ALF can you believe it uh, when I went I'm, to Japan there was like an ALF section it was awesome yeah I'm, I'm impressed that the comic went two more years after the cancellation of the show it was only two 86 to 90 okay well 
yeah. you know, geared towards kids. If they're watching the Alf reruns, they might be yeah. like, hey, yeah, might exactly. as well pick up the comic. Which I was. I was like way too young to be watching primetime anything when Alf came out. I would be asleep. And then on the first, oh, this is fucking nuts. It's just uh, the press release is sent out formally announcing uh, Image Comics, finalizing the split between Marvel and its most famous writers and artists. I believe I, who Todd McFarlane being a big one of those, and like yeah. to this Rob Liefeld yes. and uh, Jim Lee, and uh, basically anyone who was anyone in comics in 1992 left Marvel, and they did what is the weirdest business meeting I've ever heard of. So. Mm-hmm. You get every single famous comic artist. They leave Marvel, and they're going to start their own company, and they request a business meeting with DC. So DC is so excited about this. They get every editor, every person they can get to come to this meeting because it's, like, awesome. We are going to get these hottest of the hot guys. And they go into the meeting, and Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld all sit down, and they say, "Uh, thanks for meeting us. We will never work for you. And, and the guys at DC are just like, what? We have come Especially here me, you. Jim Lee. Um, <laughs> I think, what's he like a CEO? At, that at we DC are now? never going to work for you. We are starting our own company. And the guys at DC are just like, why did you have this? Oh, so mean. <laughs> Was it just to like fuck with Marvel to find out like, oh my God, all of these guys are having a meeting at DC right now. It, it no, was. because they were all really just being, dumb. They just being dicks. <laughs> It's. I think. They, I think they, it's because they, you could argue that these artists and writers, especially the founders, kind of pulled comics out of a very bad period. And, and it was the biggest time in comics history. Yeah. The previous year sold eight million copies of a single comic book, X Men number one, still the highest selling comic book of all time. And to put that in perspective, if you break a hundred thousand uh, issues in twenty twenty one, you are a best selling comic book. Yeah. Wow. And, and 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 these guys were instrumental in that. Like that, you think of Spider Man and Venom. That's all McFarlane. I forget what Lee does with Deadpool with Liefeld. And uh, they start Image Comics, which is like, hey, are you sick of being fucked over by your bosses? Come over here. We'll let you own your own characters. That would be put to the mm. test and turned out not to be very true. Or at least they'd lose a couple lawsuits about that. And but it, but what you see is like, I just picked up an Image comic the other day. Like Ed Brubaker and. Sean Phillips, the guy, the guys who did Winter Soldier and uh, the guy who wrote Winter Soldier, like hasn't worked for one of the big companies forever. He just keeps keeps making new pulpy series for Image, and the oh, they want to be optioned. He's not going to be cut out of it. Comics creators are not required to be compensated when they, a movie is made. Marvel mm-hmm. and DC tend to do that, but they kind of, out of the kindness of their hearts, not contractually. But Image, if you're a famous comic artist, come over here, work for yourself, own your property. An enticing appeal, and uh, I think the Spawn's still going, Savage Dragon's still going. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm also seeing what Walking Dead, Walking Dead Saga, Kick Ass, Invincible. Invincible. Mm-hmm. Fuck, that's that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, almost almost every major comic creator dabbles in something at Image because they can mm-hmm. no restrictions of any kind, do whatever you want. You own this sort of it, until we want to make more money. The, the company itself, uh, I would say, the early properties didn't have as long lasting a impact as the mere fact that it changed the comic book market right. by existing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, sort of giving giving comic artists and writers anywhere to go, any leverage over they're just being two and a half big companies. Anywho, oh my God, I love talking. I haven't talked comics in a while on a podcast. 92 Music, um, new releases, uh, Solace by Sarah McLaughlin, 
a congregation by the Afghan Whigs, which is one of my favorite titles of the entire 90s. <laughs> Afghan Whigs. It was hilarious. Uh, coincidence and likely stories by Buffy, St. Marie. But we're going to close out with Don't Let the, the Sun Go Down on Me by George Michael and Elton John. This is insane because this is number one and it is a recording from a concert. Actually, a couple concerts put together. George Michael was on a big concert tour and he was singing Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me and bringing Elton John out. They sang that together in Live Aid back in, what, 85? Yeah. They but sing this... it now in 1992. For charity, right? No. Oh, I thought <laughs> just, the, the single just... was for charity. I couldn't No. Be... Just, just to sing it, they, have, they don't release a studio version. It's just the concert version mm. by itself as a single. I don't think it's even on an album yet. And it goes to number one because it's a really good song. And George Michael and Elton John. And they're cool, but mm-hmm. it's so strange. Like, I was looking, it was like, I, I remember the video being at a concert, but surely there's there's a clean studio version. No. Mm. Nope. You play it on the radio, you're going to hear that crowd. Sorry, deal with it. Well, let us close out with that amazing duet. But stay right there, people. 2002. It's going to get even more fun. If you're a content creator like the good folks here at LazerTime, you know how inefficient and demanding the creative process can be. Sometimes you just want a huge library of content to pull from and you need that perfect clip, image, sound, or piece of music. Well, good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge demand-driven library of 4K or HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan gives you unlimited downloads from over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad right now. So whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's important to you, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash laser time. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash laser time. Bring you into 2002 with Shine by Cracker off of Forever, which I think is their last album. <laughs> but uh, Cracker, I mean, 2002. Yeah. I would not have associated Cracker with 2002. Love Cracker. Not Uncle Cracker. Cracker. Regular kind. Regular Cracker. Casper Van Beethoven Cracker. Welcome to 2002, January 28th to February 4th. Other new releases this week come with us by the Chemical Brothers, Elva by Unwritten Law, Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence by Dream Theater, and O by Damien Rice. You Got It Bad by Usher is still, still number one. Still. Still We still have it so bad. (laughs) And a little bit of news to remind you where we are in 2002. Yeah, and the State of the Union, W calls Iraq, Iran, and North Korea an access of evil. Hooray! Mm. Panic, fear. I'm not sure what good that did for anybody. We're at war in Afghanistan. Uh-huh. Why are you picking fights? Yeah. 
Shoot, I ran. Let's go. Let Yeah. And no, yeah, I don't know. That's, I, I, you know what? I don't want to be controversial. Don't miss W at all. I don't care about his rehabilitation tour or how he looks compared to Trump. He's puke to shit. Um, and they're both bad. Speaking of the rise of authoritarianism, uh, Fox News overtakes CNN for the first time in the ratings this week. And, it's, and it will hold that for 20 years. Do you Fuck. know what is the event that made it lose out briefly? I remember, I can only remember like certain shows beating Fox News in primetime, but not overall ratings. Overall ratings, the January 6, 2021. So people. That wow. is the last time in the last 20 years that CNN and MSNBC beat Fox News in the rating because they people covered it? switched over from. Fox to watch the live coverage. This is, that's so infuriating. Wow. That's, like, that's like all the, the Trump polling, people not willing to admit what they were thinking, even though right now that's like an admission of, well, they're not going to tell me what's going on. I might as well switch to the station hmm. I hate. Oh, now I'm angry. Um, and in 2002, and getting a little angrier, reporter Daniel Pearl is beheaded in Pakistan. Oh, God, this story was awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Daniel Pearl, who was working for the Wall Street Journal as their South Asia Corresponder, he was like the, the head of the area, um, but working in India. Uh, after the Richard Reed attempted shoe bombing, he goes over into Pakistan to try to chase down some leads on that story. He is kidnapped and he is beheaded on video, and they release the footage, and it's fucking terrible and terrifying. And yeah, they make a whole big deal out about like this American Jew is here, and it's like, dude. Guys are idiots. Okay, maybe time. But yeah, they make a whole big deal. Even though his mom, I found out, is not just a Jew. She's an Iraqi Jew. The fuck? Yeah, he's closer to y'all than you realize. But no, and his wife was uh, heavily pregnant at the time. And there's a movie about her, Angelina Jolie. Angelina Jolie, and uh, yeah, yeah. (sighs) When reporters die, it's fucking bad. Yeah, I even if you disagree with them, don't kill reporters. I know it must have happened before this, but this is yeah. like the start of journalists being brutally murdered in my own personal world line. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't recall any before this. And then after this, it was like one of those things where it's like, oh, great. Yeah, yeah. it's happening again. Yeah, yeah, there have been all kinds of different times, especially in civil wars. We talked about Sierra Leone civil war. Journalists got targeted very specifically during that. Yeah, they uh, that became a whole thing. But the fact that happened in Pakistan, not Afghanistan, right. made things um, queasy internationally. Uh, f- I think four different guys have been arrested for involvement, and one had a death sentence, but that was overturned like in 2020. Well, yeah, he he got let go. Yeah. So yeah, so they they all got busted for the kidnapping, but not the murder. Oh, I feel it great. Sucks. I feel great. I mean, um, as, as if as if like being a reporter would not have. You know, less lethal pitfalls, but like in 2002, this is like all, all this news is bad for reporters. Fox News, <laughs> television news, the internet, all bad for old fashioned reporting. Yeah. And hey, whew. sometimes you want reporters to be on your side so they can tell your side of the story. Uh huh. So um, make nice with the reporters. Yeah. Next time, hack a movie of studio's email. God damn. <laughs> Movies uh, of 2002, January 28th through February 3rd. Black Hawk Down is still number one at the box office. Wow. These movies. <laughs> um, when Strangers Appear with uh, Roda Mitchell, Barry Watson, and Josh Lucas. Never heard of it. Yeah, barely, barely got released, but it is 
interesting that we just talked about Nightmare Cafe, and this is about like a guy shows up at a cafe, and it's like these guys are trying to kill me, and then some guys try show up and try to kill him, and then like he and the lady from the diner have to run away. Well, all night cafes do have a weird, weird vibe. I should have brought yeah. this up during the Nightmare Cafe <laughs> section, but you've all been at a all night cafe at like three or four a.m. in the morning, oh, sometime fuck in your yeah. life, right? Mm-hmm. Oh god, and yes. it is a vibe. <laughs> And it depends, too, because Denny's has a different vibe than Waffle Hut, which has a different vibe from, like, an independent diner. I mean, look, I, I could write a whole guide to this, having grown up on both sides of the country. But Waffle House, pleasant vibes as long as you're not next to a bar or nightclub at 2.30 in the morning. Uh, Denny's yeah. in San Francisco, one of three all-night cafes. That was the worst thing I'd ever seen in my life. I've seen nudity. I've seen all-out brawls and blood. I've I've seen every bad thing you can possibly imagine in it. that San Francisco yeah. Denny's. For, yeah. for me, it was Voodoo Donuts in Portland, Oregon. So I used to live in Portland. Oh, nice. And Voodoo Donuts, They're before it was hours. this big branding thing, it was this hole-in-the-wall place, which was famous for the bars are all closed, you're drunk, go get some donuts. <laughs> <You're like shit. laughs> That's what it was known for. And it was dirty, it was grimy, it was like, look at how weird we are. And you'd be in there at 3, 4 a.m. arfing down donuts. And then they got revamped and they made it big and clean. And by and beginning it, they shrunk it. And it's, mm. it's just no longer the same vibe anymore. Mm. See, I, I do have a light preference for suburban Denny's at 2 in the morning because theater kids. Theater kids, goth kids. Uncool yeah. kids. Love theater and goth kids. Where I, could, yep. where I could at 15 go smoke at 3 in the morning inside yep. while ordering uh just repeated glasses of coke thank you thank you mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's really funny because i was in drama and we did go to denny's in high school yes i guess yep. cliches become cliches for a reason i know and i was a mini goth and same thing uh, i i now go out of my way to tip really well at diners yeah, to try to make up the karma of my terrible tipping and leaving a mess i gave I'm my waffle waitress. house waitress a ride that's, <laughs> that was, oh, that's nice it was that's christmas nice. around christmas i wasn't at a waffle house on christmas <laughs> okay anyway next movie matthew kosovitz i say question mark on that pronunciation vincent cassell yeah. ben chaplin nicole kidman in birthday girl I love that this is described on, I think, Wikipedia as like an erotic thriller comedy. Huh. huh. <laughs> Which is kind of sort of. So Ben Chaplin is a wiener who works at a bank in England and he gets a mail order bride and it is Nicole Kidman. That's already pretty funny because Damn. mail order brides and looking like Nicole Kidman, just normal human beings looking like Nicole Kidman. Yeah, these days the scalpers would snatch her up too quickly. You'd have to pay way too much in the aftermarket. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's Russian. She doesn't speak English, but they have this interesting relationship where they kind of get closer and closer. And then she says, like, it's my birthday. Can my friends come over? And he's like, okay. And then the friends come over and they, it turns out this was all a con and they like kidnap him and force him to rob the bank. Ooh, you know, just when you think you can trust things out there, it turns out this mail-order Russian bride was not on the up-and-up. Oh, um, no, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, and then, you know, the kind of who who's on whose sides changes around a couple times of, like, he tries to get loose, and is Nicole Kidman going to help him or not? And, yeah, it's, I mean, Vincent Cassell always plays a creep. So the second he showed up, watched, I'm like, oh, shit, it's about to go down. I don't trust this guy. And, yeah, it's pretty Pretty watchable. It's kind of a nice little small movie that's 
seems kind of basic, but has like, I don't know, little, little details around the edges that, that kind of elevate it. Yeah, I liked it. And uh, Birthday Girl. Birthday Girl in our final movie. I did movie. not like the next movie. <laughs> I was I, I, I was going to vouch for it, and I did not get a chance to see if it held up, because I did like this movie back when we were getting a lot fewer movies. Hence, there being <laughs> three movies to watch this week, period. But look at the cast, though. Maybe Van Doren? Oh. Joe okay, Flaherty? I will give you Mamie Van Doren, Joe Flaherty, and Lee Taylor Young. Those are we got some old schools there, but yeah. Mamie Van Doren, who is still with us and is ninety, knock on wood. <laughs> you got Retta. You got, yeah, that's right, Steve. You got Jim Rash, Laura Prepon, uh, Jamie King, Mike Marana, and the uh, triumvirate of Jason Siegel, Devin Sawa, and Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> and the movie is Slackers, plural. Do not get it confused. The Linkletter movie, Slackers, Slackers. Dave and his friends are the biggest scammers on campus. On February 1st. I'm a commercial airline pilot. Is he a pilot too? FBI. Cool. I got the ugly one. Learn from the masters. This is our resume under activities. Smoking with the homies. And busting caps and whitey. Slackers. Rated R. <laughs> How can you Mojo not Flaherty. like this movie? God, I love him. Uh, it's, got, it's got Big Pete in it. Can I uh, read a brief quote from Roger Ebert on this film? Oh, please. This film knows no shame. <laughs> Consider a scene where the heroine's roommate, interrupted while masturbating, continues even while a man she has never met is in the room. Consider a scene where the hero's roommate sings a duet with a sock puppet on his penis. Consider a scene where we cut away from the hero and the heroine to join two roommates just long enough for a loud fart and then cut back to the main story again. <laughs> and consider a scene where Mimi Van Doren, who is 71 years old, plays a hooker in a hospital bed who bears her breast so that the movie's horny creep can give them a sponge bath. On the day when I saw Slackers, there were many things I expected and even wanted to see in a movie, but I confess Van Doren's breast were not among them. Damn, yeah, zero stars from Roger. Zero. I think that that's what compelled me to end up watching it. (laughs) Because, I yeah, back when I would buy Roger Ebert's I Hated This Movie books... I, I, I definitely remember torrenting it, but I remember it was, uh, I, there's, I'm sure there's a tone or a, I would say an overwhelming misogyny that's there that probably doesn't hold up very well, but mm-hmm. it was silly and surreal at points that I, I remember liking about the film. <sighs> yeah, I just, we're, we're still, we're coming out of like the, the gross out humor era of big screen comedy. <laughs> this is, this and... is written by the guy who wrote the straight to video American Pie trilogy (laughs) okay yeah i did see another quote saying that this makes american pie look like importance of being earnest (laughs) i love earnest a compliment (laughs) not that earnest know what i mean oh my god why why did jim varney never be in a production of importance of being earnest and just play it completely straight and confuse everyone fight a time machine he's the one person i'd save i like that Uh, knock cigarettes out of his mouth for 40 years stop it (laughs) (laughs) wacky college shenanigans scammer guys and then like jason schwartzman is like the mean nerd and he's like you're gonna help me get with this girl or else i'm gonna get you guys kicked out of college and everyone's just sort of gross and hateful and i turned it off (laughs) i uh i had no nostalgia for this film didn't see it when it was around i watched it for this episode and oosh it Mm -hmm. does not hold up if you don't have any fondness for the property i think um there was one scene that i am glad i watched it because when i was actually in college i had a a friend swear to me that one time 
he was in this huge class where the college professor didn't know anyone's names. And at the end of the test, he just sat in his chair and kept writing past the time limit. And the college professor said, uh, okay, you're going past the limit. You're, I'm not going to accept it. You're still writing. I'm not going to accept it. And then his friend says he went up to the college professor and said, do you even know my name? college professor said no and so he just grabbed all the tests and threw them off in the air so he wouldn't know who he was and that is the exact scene from this movie so, so that guy lying was a hundred percent just just bullshitting and i'm glad i have that information. and then me and my friends did this whole musical number to blind melons three cover from schoolhouse rocks <laughs> it's awesome it's awesome and that's that's exactly why mark zuckerberg invented facebook so he couldn't do that anymore <laughs> Just for colleges. All right. Um, Do you want to talk about the big thing in TV first or last? Um, I don't know because I don't know what the big thing is here. None of this is stuff that is. uh, Superb owl is the. Oh, the superb owl. You want to talk about? Let's talk about it first. That's probably the thing most people actually saw. (laughs) Yeah. So Uh, it's yeah the superb owl coming mm -hmm. to you from the Superdome. Don't get too attached to it. It won't be in the good shape in a couple years, and it's a hell of a fucking game. First of all, obviously, it's a Super Bowl. It's the first post 9-11 Super Bowl, so oh my god. Yeah, there's, there's a giant so section on the wiki about 9-11's impact, and it's all very boring and involves... the Everything was in football was delayed by one week. Yeah, and, so they had to push everything back. And it was like... A, that was like a multi-million dollar catastrophe. <laughs> Just every, everything yeah. being pushed back by a week. And then, like, the pre-show, they have, you know, players reciting from the Declaration of Independence. This was at a time, and it turns out this is pretty rare, where we had five ex-presidents, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush Sr., and Clinton. And they all record pre-show bits, like reading from speeches by Abraham Lincoln. Reagan wasn't up to it because of the dementia, so they have Mrs. Reagan instead. It's like... Beyond that, though, it's a fucking amazing game. Rams were heavily favored to win. It was New England Patriots versus St. Louis Rams. Rams were favored to win by 14. Patriots have amazing comeback with a 48-yard field goal. It's a nail-biter. It's amazing. It's a really great show. And the halftime show is U2, which is something we kind of needed. Yeah. They, they, like, we needed a band uh, everyone they, liked. They yeah. literally bumped Janet Jackson yep. for two years to because U2 had, and I don't remember, was it? Just Walk On, was that song out or like repurposed to be like a 9-11 anthem? Mm. But they had, they had, you 2 had helped, I forget what the song was, but they had healing 9-11 music and vibes, uh, and yeah. that's what they were here for. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they did Beautiful Day and Where the Streets Have No Name, while there's a big screen behind them with all the names of everyone who died on 9-11 and where Ooh. they were in the towers, they were in this plane, they were in that plane. Uh, yeah, and they put on a hell of a show. But it's a little weird to see this like awesome performance next to like all the scrolling dead people. Yeah, I was still probably yeah. making a sandwich. I was, I was that was a smoke break time. <laughs> but oh, and also I didn't even realize I didn't think about it. They used to introduce the players sort of like by group, like the defensive line, the offensive line, and Bill Belichick, who we all hate, you know, coach of the Patriots, made a thing about like no, the team's coming out together, you know, for unity, and that's how they they still do it. The Super Bowl teams now choose to go out as a team. Mm. Huh. Let's like, save some time. It it was meaningful back then, as silly as it sounds. So congratulations, the New Massachusetts Patriots, the, Be- the the little Belichick guys, and you too for helping a nation heal. You know what else Sorry, helped, Rams. helped a nation heal? <laughs> I'm going to say the show Roswell. Didn't have WB or wherever that show mm-hmm. aired. Couldn't see it. 
Who's the you had to put this in here, Jr. I married an I, alien. I did. Uh, so using Bewitched as an inspiration, Isabella fantasizes about what her domestic life with Jesse would be like if he knew she was an alien. Now, I always like cheesy sitcoms, fake sitcoms, but this is neither funny nor interesting <laughs> nor well written nor well acted, and I don't. <laughs> to this day know what the best boy does but i'm gonna guess that this did not have good best boying in it either worst boying <laughs> worst boying i've ever seen then we have the final episode of nikki on wb another show i was never able to see the nikki cox vehicle did anybody yeah? ever see the show no i didn't even hear about this uh so nikki cox is a las vegas dancer her boyfriend is a wrestler can they get along yeah, probably. They usually mm. do. Um, it's it's a very cheesy sitcom, justly forgotten. There's definitely, if you watch the opening credits, you can tell what aspects of Nikki Cox they are really trying to rope the viewer in with. Ooh. Her philosophical insight? She's There's a lot of dancing in this footage. Holy Lord. For a sitcom? Oh, it's got for, Toby Huss in it? Oh, this, no, is, this is Jiggle Physics, the sitcom. That's all I can <laughs> say. Two seasons, almost. Season and a half. Season it got and a canceled, half. and apparently there's some unaired episodes for all the Nikki fans out there well, screaming. I, How did this resolve? It, it, was, it wasn't a spinoff, but like I never saw Unhappily Ever After either, but that show went over 100 episodes on a fledgling network, and she became the breakout star of that. And that's why she has her own sitcom. And maybe for her performance as Term in Terminator 2, where she tells T-1000 where to go for one second. Very briefly <laughs> in that movie. And, that, and the uh, Mr. Show movie. And that's the only reason I know who she is. Oh, no, she <laughs> married Jay Moore, and I think either teased or said she changed her name to Moorcox. And I think that's... <laughs> That's a great thing to do. Price is Right airs its 30th anniversary primetime special. You don't have to fake sick to watch this because Tebow <laughs> exists. But yeah, Price is Right 30th anniversary special. And then, uh, wow, I don't want to watch this at all. Touched by an Angel episode, The Blue Angel, where Ernest Borgnine tries to coax an angel into stripping on live TV. An angel? I I'm... I'm serious. That is the plot of this episode. Oh. Uh, Ernest Borgnine portrays an idealistic TV producer back in the gosh wow 40s. And over the next 50 years, he's degraded by the horrible nature of, as far as I can tell, public access television. <laughs> uh, because when we get to the modern era, the sign of the utter degradation and evil of TV is he has a goth girl with no cleavage showing, just very covered up goth girl, reading sad diary entries like, today was bad, I was sad, <laughs> yesterday I felt nothing. And it goes on <laughs> and on and on. And this is this is meant to be the the bad point. And because it's touched by an angel, angels come in and throughout his life are trying to lead him down the right way. And at the very end, he's trying to get an angel who he doesn't know isn't an angel to strip to save his public access television. And then he realizes the error of his ways and gets the black angel who he previously rejected to racism pressure, although he is not personally racist, to sing God Bless America, which 
uh, uh, lights up the it. phone boards, and now this station is a huge success. I really, really was waiting for you to get to the point where I know which of the stars of Touched by an Angel he's pressuring to strip, but I really wanted it to be Della Reese. <laughs> I know it's Roma Downey, who's very pretty, but Della Reese is pretty in her own way. I wanted a scene where it's like, uh, you're like, it's your cousin, Marvin Borgnine. You know that new sound you've been looking for? <laughs> but so back in the early 90s, I was with my dad and stepsister and sister and stepmother in, in Palm Springs. And he was wanting to take us all out to a restaurant. Looks it up a place. There's a place called the Blue Angel. And he goes, okay, this place, let's go see it. We walk in there and my stepsister says, there's a lot of men here. And this is the early 90s. Not, I'm oh, a young no. kid. I'm not really oh, thinking about someone it. Someone is and not a fan of classic German cinema. I, I want to get this answer because uh, <laughs> so we, we start walking to the table and the waiter is like, you sure you want to eat here? And we're like, yeah, of course. And my stepsister is going, guys, guys, we sit down and then it is clearly and obviously a gay bar. And once once my father realizes this, he turns to all of us and says in all seriousness, and I've never heard an answer to this, so I, I'm thrilled you apparently have one, Diana. Mm -hmm. He says, okay, is there anything about the words blue or angel that should have tipped us off? <laughs> really thought it was going to be about jets. Yeah, foursome no. with jets. No, he's not a fan of the 1930 masterpiece by Josef von Sternberg, starring Emily Annings and, and uh, Marlena Dietrich as a oh as a, a singer cabaret artist who lures men to their doom. Okay. And it's part of the queer canon or something? Or Oh, hell yeah. Okay. Yeah, Marlena Dietrich in that is, um, well, Marlena Dietrich in general, you know, is very popular in the queer canon because she did a lot of gender bendy stuff that you did not do back in the 30s dress like a man and kiss a woman at the end of your act oh my wow i've been uh wondering about that for 30 years so thank you i'm just just too afraid to google it because you <laughs> don't know what ads you're gonna get served i think that's rather sweet take your kids to the gay bar <laughs> Did you, did you finish? I, mean, I feel like a strip club would have been worse. A gay bar. I thought you were. I thought it was going full strip club. Yeah, um, that's what I thought. They, that was the food. Oh, it was excellent. We actually had a really fun time. <laughs> See, this is the world. There story. you go. Uh, and then moving on to video games of twenty years ago, two thousand two, January twenty eighth through the February third. Drakon, Draken, 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 Draken. I never played this. I don't know how to pronounce it. So a this PS2. is an incredibly forgotten PS2 game. Uh, how forgotten is this? The protagonist is a elvish stack female redheaded, and there are no hits for her on Rule Thirty Four. <laughs> so <laughs> that is how forgotten this PS2 yeah, game I'm is. I'm not familiar with this cover at all. I'm more familiar with Virtual Fighter 4 that the arcade port hits PS2. And I think this corrects something I had been saying that I thought Sonic's first game on a Nintendo platform was the GameCube port of Sonic Adventure. But I'm guessing that was the first console Sonic game. Yes. But the first actual game on a Nintendo platform is Sonic Advance. A yeah. damn decent port it was an enhanced port that have extra stuff on it i can't remember i thought it did uh, uh i i played it it didn't seem like it was a remake of sonic one two or three which is what i'm familiar with it seems like it's a new sonic game you run fast you get rings you jump on robot bad guys and you get to dr eggman it's, yeah and, it's a sonic game and um i think we've we said sega was calling it quits on hardware exclusives it mario's mortal enemy now appearing on his platform 
so this game marks the transition because once Sonic began appearing in Nintendo games, it's never stopped. So now in 2022, Sonic has been on Nintendo games for twice as long as he's been on Sega systems. Yeah. Damn. Once rivals, now best friends, and an eventual oh. exclusive to Nintendo platforms. It is bizarre From to enemies think about. to lovers. I know. Look at that. <laughs> they learn how to get along, despite one of them being much better than the other. Sorry, Sonic. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, that is exciting. First, first uh, Sonic game on a Nintendo platform. Truly, literally, the end of an era. I think you can call that. And then uh, 2002. What are we closing out with here? I thought I'd give you a choice because there's. Not much, even in the top like 20 songs this week that has not been number one or we haven't played yet. So I thought something off the Slacker soundtrack, like Holy Calamity by Hanson Voice Modeling School, or we could do some of that Super Bowl halftime show. You know, where the streets have no name is a pretty awesome version. Diana, why don't you choose? Uh, oh, you don't two. make me choose. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be you two then. <laughs> there you go. You two it is. We'll close it out with you two to celebrate the superb owl and, uh, you know, healing after 9 11. But stay right there. We have one more segment left to go right after this. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. No one's given me any questions as to why I look like this right now. I have a Mickey Mouse tit dirt. Oh. oh yeah! Oh, yeah. I just assumed that was like a hypercolor shirt or something. Yeah, we thought it, we thought it was just bad hypercolor action. I think that just a testament to how sweet Michael and Matt are. We we it looks like you may have just got done masturbating or had a heart attack, but we don't want to say anything. Are, are either of those true? No, no. Did you just I'm, have a heart attack? No, while no. And, and how dare you make that joke in light I mean, of what happened to Bob Saget? And, the older we get, does that become a that becomes a concern, doesn't it? Well, I mean, I think the more we work from home, it becomes a concern. <laughs> Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. and all the ships at sea. It's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We look even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of January 28th through February 3rd, oh boy, anniversaries. So many anniversaries. Let's start with a recommend that you should steal because it is the debut film of Roman Polanski turning 60 years old this week, Knife in the Water, which is a hell of a Polish language thriller. I think it's the only Polish language movie he ever made because he mostly lived in France. Guys stuck on boat, thriller stuff guy shows up kind of like dead calm sort of it just yeah it's it's a tense ass movie people trapped on a boat and then 50 years ago this week saw a fucking awesome album i don't shout out albums enough but 
It's the 50th anniversary of Let's Stay Together by Al Green. You know the one song, but the whole album, so good. Please get into Al Green. He's amazing. And then 40 years ago this week, part one of one of the best double features of all time, Werner Herzog's Fitzcarraldo is released, 1982. I don't know if you should watch it before or after you watch Burden of Dreams, the making of documentary, which also comes out in 1982. He makes the movie and he immediately takes all his behind the scenes footage and, and makes another movie, which might even be better. Kind of like a Hearts of Darkness will make Apocalypse, Apocalypse Now situation. I don't know which one you should watch first. Maybe watch Fitzcarraldo first and then Burden of Dreams because Fitzcarraldo, it's insane. It's Klaus Kinski, who's an insane person, and he is a would-be rubber baron who goes to the Amazon and tries to get this gigantic fucking steamship over a mountain, and it's uh, terrifying, and because they pretty much just really did that. They just really did that, and people are constantly about to die, as you will see in Burden of Dreams, so I kind of want to recommend both of them, but we'll get to Burden of Dreams literally by the end of the year, so yeah, Fitzcarraldo, one of Herzog's best movies, Absolutely put up there with the uh, Aguirre Wrath of God. Happy 40th anniversary, Fitzcarraldo, and that's it for this week's Stay Classic. If I had the strength of a lion back to 2012 i hope i that has not become my default beatles reference thanks to the disney documentary wings by ringo stars bringing us into 10 years ago for some reason but the reason is ringo's a new album out and it's easy to remember ringo 2012 yeah that it's album is part of that online campaign to stop him with his child soldier army <laughs> uh, that's a, sorry i feel like i got that fast and then re- really slow at the same time Ugh. I love Coney 2012 joke. There, there have never been better time. There, that is also celebrating its 10th year anniversary. Um, yep. Welcome to 2012, January 28th through February 3rd. Other albums that are out during this period of 2012. Tension by Die Antwoord. Uh, Stop the World by Ar- Aranda. Old Ideas by Leonard Cohen. The Shovel versus the Howling Bones by Lincoln Durham. Emerald Forest and the Blackbird by, the Swal- by Swallow the Sun. And Bones by uh, Young Guns. This is Bones. Uh, Bones. Uh, we Found Love by Rihanna featuring Calvin Harris is still number one this week. Still. Mm-hmm. Stop Good it. Lord. Yeah. Change it up, life. Movies of 2012, January 28th to February 3rd. Albert Nobbs. That's how we say it, right? Glenn mm-hmm. Close. Mia Wasilikowska. What? We did it. Janet McTeer. And yep. yeah. So this is a movie Glenn Close tried to make for like 30 something years. It really? was originally like a novella that became a play that she did in like the 80s. And she worked forever to get this fucking movie made. And it takes place in Ireland in like the 1890s, 1880s, where Glenn Close is this woman who like had a bunch of really terrible experiences. Now she's on her own. She's got no family. She's got no money. And so she becomes a man. She dresses as a butler and she becomes a like professional butler at this fancy hotel and it's it's very interesting like watching i I was really worried it's like this is going to be insensitive to the trans community and it was very interesting that's like it's never really clear is she trans is she a lesbian is she asexual 
she's mostly she's just trying to get by trying to survive yeah exactly she's trying to survive kind of like uh let me think about little little joe that we're going to talk about in a couple the, of years that, the kid and the good lord bird uh my name yeah. is all that showtime show yeah it's interesting that she ends up meeting janet mcateer who we're going to talk about in another movie in a couple minutes McAteer. who's done the same thing but it's more clear like she wants to live as a man because she's a lesbian and that's the only way you can but it's also a time where it's like you don't have photo id you can just show up in town and be like my name's bob man guy that's so unfair so unfair. <laughs> I so I so badly yearn to leave my house and scam some anti-vax town out of all their money, and then just come back here. And I, you can never get away with anything like that now. You need a straw boater hat if you're going <laughs> to do that. It was pretty good. It's it's very slow. It's very genteel. Uh, yeah, Glenn Close and Janet McTeer are both really really good in it. Like I've never seen Glenn Close that tightly wound. Like if you're in service, you are not a person anymore. You've like destroyed so much of your humanity to just be like an appliance and yeah she does a great job fine really uh, did she get nominated for this yeah yeah i thought so i had not heard about it until that moment uh, yeah and that's really movie. the draw is is her performance is really good and the rest of the movie's like it's fine this is quite a cast but it's it might be my least favorite genre of movie and that is yes. the type of movie where i'm handed a flyer at a museum and <laughs> Uh, Ted Danson, Dermot Mulrooney, Tim Blake Nelson, Kristen Bell, Drew Barrymore, and John Krasinski in Big Miracle, a movie about freeing the whales. And it's, sorry, based on the book Freeing the Whales, which uh, I have no idea what it's about. But... So it, it's based on a true story. I know. Um, yeah. What happens is whales need to breathe. They're mammals. In this case, the whales are trapped under some ice, which has a hole in it, but the ice is going to freeze up because they're all in Alaska. And then the whales aren't going to be able to breathe and they'll die. So the question is, what do they do about it? And I was really impressed by the filmmakers willing to make this a complex family film. Mm. Um, the people in this film are actual people. Like there's an environmentalist who goes to the governor of Alaska and demands that he mobilize the ships to free the whales. And he points out to her, if I do that, I'm risking their lives. This is Alaska. These are frozen waters. It's not just a simple thing. Mm -hmm. And people are portrayed as real people and with conflicting goals. Like the local tribe uh, wants to harvest the whale meat for themselves. And that's presented as a uh, part of something they do. And yeah. it's not like the evil villains. It's just like, this is us. And the people who want to save the whales are presented as, well, no, we want to save the whales, but we also realize that this is difficult and it's not going to be easy. And it, it's a take the baby. You, family Take film. the baby one. Take the baby whale and eat that one. And then... <laughs> That's the, that'd be a much worse end because I'm, I'm guessing this is super kid friendly. It just has that super look kid to it. friendly. Yes. Yeah, it's the kind of thing my dad would always make me watch. He's a big what you would call it. I don't want to say environmental. It's like a pejorative, but uh, my god, he would yeah. drag me, he'd drag me to Star Trek Four, having never seen Star Trek, and just because <laughs> it had whales in it. Yeah, it's like that was the interesting thing is that they have so many competing interests, and they have to figure out how to make them all work together. You know, and it's this. The real event happened in 1988. So them trying to like call the Soviets with try to get one of their icebreakers is like a big thing of like we're, we're working together. But yeah, you got the oil companies, you got the oh, government. It's for the got... whales, say no more. Be right there. I think they ended up doing it though. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. Cool. But it, you know, 
it's I, I have to admit I never ended up watching it because it looked just too damn heartwarming. Yep. But I feel bad for Dermot Mulroney having to be stranded in Alaska again. We just watched the gray. That poor man. <laughs> we need a version of the Martian where we get him uh, out of Alaska. He didn't even know he was better off buying a house there. Don't rent. You're gonna be there a while, son. <laughs> And then uh, the next movie we got to talk about, Janet McTeer again. She can't be in two movies in the same segment. Yep. Kieran Hines, Syrian Hines, uh, and Daniel Radcliffe. Okay, sure. The Woman in Black. The Woman in Black. You don't believe in superstition, do you? Why? I saw a woman. That's not possible. Whenever she's been seen, something horrible happens. <laughs> Even the most rational mind can play tricks in the dark. She was there. You've seen her, haven't you? The Woman in Black. Mm, an oddly conventional choice for the first post-Harry Potter film. Yeah. I think so. You remember what I was saying about Hear My Song and how it's like, oh, little British towns are so sweet and ideal. Yes. They're so genteel and cute. Yeah, except when they're filled with child murder. <laughs> yeah, this is a fairly standard haunted house in a small town, but oh. the setting really sells it. Uh, it's set in 1889. Late Victorian Gothic is such in tune with any haunted house story. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I would really like to see someone try to make a cheerful late Victorian film. <laughs> I, I don't know how that would work out yeah. because you in my can. mind, it's always like, obviously this is a murder home. There's Victorian furniture everywhere. <laughs> yeah. All you need is a little girl in a pinafore. And it's like, yeah. oh yeah, no, she's, she's got to kill everybody. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> Michael and I were of... talking about that watching this. It's like everything from the Victorian era is haunted, but you never see like, I don't know, ghosts from the 1300s. Yeah. No, just yeah. Victorian because they're spooky. They're, what they're... about caveman ghosts? You know, most Ooh. of our time as a species was hunter gatherers. Where are all the hunter gatherers <laughs> it ghosts? It almost there? makes you think the flowing clothing are just things deceiving us in our eyesight. Otherwise, we'd see clubs and loincloths on our ghosts, or maybe. An 80 cell phone. Instead, <laughs> it's always robes. See what I'm saying? You see what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Well, and I think Michael pointed out some of it is ghost stories just got really popular back then. True. That's a good point. True. And that's uh, they've, that's carried on to today. I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil the ending a little bit. Um Daniel Radcliffe dies and becomes a ghost, and then he's reunited with the people that he's been missing this whole time. Now <sighs> It's implied that he's going <laughs> off into a happy afterlife. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, in any film where a positive afterlife is a real objectively existing thing, getting murdered is kind of like graduating high school a year early. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, no, I'm leaving everyone I know, uh, but I'm going to an awesome place. Yeah, I'm going to summer camp <laughs> in the sky. Yeah. That's... <laughs> I, I was confused because, yeah, spoiler alert, his kid also dies, but the whole thing is the woman in black kills kids. She or makes kids kill themselves, really. And so she was making this kid kill himself by standing in front of a train and Daniel Radcliffe like, runs over and tries to grab him. And we've seen that all the other kids that she's managed to kill like become spooky child ghosts with her. So shouldn't Daniel Radcliffe's son not get to go to the afterlife with him? Oh, yeah. That would be too much of a bummer i don't know that would they be a changed, super bummer they, they changed stuff from the book and then the play the play has been running 
in London for like 40 years. The second longest play running play in Great Britain. Wow. Yeah. I yeah. How dare you spoil and, and, that ending? <laughs> yeah, and num- well, the ending is different in the, the play. Oh. And yeah, and number one is the mouse trap, which has been running since like 1954. Mm-hmm. So, I've always wanted to see that. Have you ever yeah. seen that? I still haven't seen it. Oh. I feel like a jerk. Yeah, I might as well. I don't know. Although I did just watch Toast of London. There's an episode with that, and that was pretty funny. It turns out like all the people, all the actors, never leave that theater. They've all <laughs> just been there the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I, guess I mean, Woman Black oh. is. I'd never now heard of this. got to make a haunted house film set in Agatha Christie's Mousetrap in London, <laughs> where all the actors are actually ghosts forced to perform Ooh. the play forever. This, this, oh, no. That would explain why I've never heard of this film, yet it made 26 times its budget. It was yeah. a success that I've never heard of before or since. Yeah, well, and even if you haven't heard of it, you know, as, as just a standard old-fashioned ghost story. With Harry Potter in it. With, with Harry Potter in mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it's... It's pretty solid. You know, it is extremely old fashioned. There's an awful lot of, I hear a spooky noise. Let's grab a candle and slowly mm. walk up to the thing. And oh, no, a jump scare. You know, there's a lot of that. Enough that I was like, have you never read a ghost story before? Any of these characters? Like, try, try talking to the ghost. No. You know that spooky noise is the ghost. Well, it's 1889. <laughs> talk Maybe they haven't read a ghost story. I yet. guess they haven't. Yeah, that's how old fashioned it is. It's like there aren't enough ghost stories yet for them eventually they start to figure out like the ghost wants something let's get her what she wants someone should write a zombie movie set in like 1961 before night of the living dead came out (laughs) so all the characters have a reason for not knowing zombies exist Mm. i thought you were going to say someone should write a zombie movie taking place in 1891 oh that would work too Victorians versus zombies? Yeah. yeah. They don't have much firepower. That's pretty good. I'd like to go on record saying well, nobody should write that. Don't. don't <laughs> pride please. and prejudice and zombies. Ah, oh, oh, damn it. You're right. Yeah. BS2. Right? I was right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. Woman in Black. It's fine if you want extremely old fashioned, spooky. And so many jump scares, though. I hate them. If you want something. I I saw uh, in the theater and hadn't seen since that I thought was ref- refreshingly unique. Ashley Henshaw, Michael Kelly, Alex Russell, Michael B. Jordan, the first thing I ever saw him in. Dan DeHaan in Number to the Box Office, It's Chronicled. Come on, let's go, let's go. Guys, what is that? Matt, look at this. Holy. That is crazy. I think we're getting stronger, you know? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Was it an accident, Andrew? We need rules. No using it on living things. We're too strong now. You can't use it when you're angry. If you did that, you know what we'd have to do. You'd have to what? Chronicle. Rated PG-13. Chronicle. And that, that's what I was teasing earlier. A movie directed by Josh Trank, written by Max Landis. Two hmm. people who are sort of cast out of the beeswax. Max Landis, you can stay where you are. But Josh Trank, yeah. uh, just... Yeah, I started reading up, up on him a lot because I really like this, having watched mm. it maybe twice and not for at least nine years. Uh, I had a great time with Chronicle. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty solid. Um, so Josh Trank, just because of Fantastic Four, you think he's in director jail? No, he, he directed a movie during like that came out on demand during the pandemic with, with uh, oh. Tom Hardy. So he's been able to make one thing since the Fantastic Four. But he was, he was I believe... The youngest director to have a movie grow such and such, beating out Steven Spielberg's record. Wow! With this movie, this movie did that well. Good and, Lord. and so he was. We're now. 
either being bored or loving the Boba Fett on television, he was the guy who was supposed to make that Boba Fett movie that they canceled. And he oh. sort of lost that as a result of the Fantastic Four 2015 movie. So yeah. he, he was in sort of like movie jail, but like a really severe kind because he was young. His production was a disaster. He was trying to make a weird movie. The studio did a lot of tampering to it too. But, you know, he had some strange behavior, but whatever. He's like a young dude having his movie taken away from him. <laughs> so yeah. there's there's strife on, on both sides. But Chronicle is like, you can sort of forget all that, even though the, apparently the Landis stuff was like all over the place and he was banned from the set of this film. Yeah. It's and, like, I, I will be in Josh Trank's corner because he co-wrote this with Max Landis and also banned him from the set when he realized he was being a creeper. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the only good thing Max Landis has ever written. <laughs> I was looking through the rest of his filmography like, there's got to be something else, right? That, that Death of Superman short film. Oh, God damn, do, I love it. Yeah, which which like comes out around this week, too. <laughs> um, and that is pretty funny. But uh, yeah, it sounds like he is a major fucking creeper, sexually and emotionally abusing women, and he's gross, and I don't like him. And so you might want to steal this movie if you don't want him to get any money. Well, you don't really have to, because uh, it's on YouTube for nothing. Oh, <laughs> it's, okay. Which is yeah. weird. Yeah. So, but, yeah, Quick overall, question. though, mm. pretty solid movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Quick question. Mm-hmm. One of the protagonists uses their superpowers to win at beer pong. Is that the most pathetic use of any superhero power in any Actually, media? That is in my notes as my favorite thing about this movie is that you could call it a superhero movie. There are no heroics. These right. kids get powers and behave like fucking kids or teenagers and behave purely selfishly. The only acts of heroisms are in defense. Uh, mm. of what one of them are doing to themselves. Everything else is just like pure id. What a, a kid is most likely to do, if you're to walk down in a cave, look at a cr- alien crystal. I, lo- I love that it doesn't need an explanation. It's fine. It's a <laughs> found footage movie. But I think that my favorite power that is used, it's a found footage movie, but th- that explains why cameras are on dollies and <laughs> have bird's eye view. Sh- ha- like have a I, yeah, I love way that. more amazing. Like why, why the movie is in high definition, unlike something like Paranormal Activity or Blair Witch Project, because they show you the cameras that they have, and then he can move them around with the powers of telekinesis. There's only one scene in the middle of the movie where, like, is this a reshoot from a different person who forgot this is a found footage? In the middle of the movie, there's just a scene where, like, no one's pointing their camera at each other. This. This scene, this scene is invalid. They do bounce between different cameras. I know. I, I had you know, security I, I went, cameras, a blogger's camera. I went researching but, that, and I, I felt too like arty farty. Like, who is the editor of this movie? Because there's yeah. so many different. Yeah, sources they never the address that. Just the movie's always through cameras. Just, just accept. But it's, it, it, and yeah, everyone's really good. I mean, obviously, Michael B. Jordan is just Mr. Charisma, and mm-hmm. uh, Dane DeHaan plays uh, a bullied weirdo. Very well. And I, I thought everything you would think walking this movie, that guy is going to be set up. Your hero is going to be set up to be your hero. And mm-hmm. he, spoiler, he is the villain by the end of the movie. I thought that was grand. The, the mm-hmm. guy who disappears from the film for the most part ends up becoming a very reluctant hero. Yeah. And yeah. Well, I mean, a lot like something like Akira or, yeah. uh, you know, it, it reminded me of Akira a lot. And just the Weird. idea of like someone going a bit mad with power, kind of like Juice last week, which I never would have related those two <laughs> movies in my life, except for this show making me. I thought more that, about Juice in the last two weeks than goddamn yeah. like the last 30 years. Jesus. Yeah. Just the idea of like, yeah, the one guy now he has some sort of empowerment and instead of like now siding with the bullied, he becomes a psycho. Yes. And that last fight is pretty great. 
Yeah. I really enjoy telekinetic fighting on top of like the Seattle Space Needle and throwing buses at each other. On a, on a, on a surprisingly low budget. That's how the movie yeah. sort of got made. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of what I like about it so much. It is a unique spin on an emerging mega genre, the superhero film, but it's like Avengers is later this year and they don't have any characters and it's just not a superhero movie at all. It just involves yeah. spontaneous superpowers. Um, powers nobody in the Marvel Universe or DC Universe has right now. So I, I thought that was interesting too. And they hmm. do this on a low budget. I don't remember reading this a lot, but like it's filmed in South Africa to, yeah. to save money. And yeah. like... Was that a thing we did? I thought we just went to Fayetteville, Georgia to do to, <laughs> to save money uh, on film shoots. Yeah, I don't know. I guess they offered a tax break or something. Yeah, they still had to like but... truck in a bunch of different cars because they drive on the wrong side. Oh shit! Notice I said wrong, <laughs> and don't correct me. Yeah, but like, wait, why don't you just flip the film and <laughs> try to blur out all the license plates? You could try, but they did that in that the car chase to live and die in L.A. And when you watch it, it'll feel really jarring because you're like, that overpass doesn't look quite right. It's because it's he's going the wrong way up it. Um, and they flipped it. But yeah, Chronicle is pretty dope. I, I I would like to see more from Josh Trank again, which I I saw Fantastic Four Day One of the Theater. I never thought I'd say that again. That movie is fucking terrible. <laughs> but I, I, I almost want to spend this whole segment talking about Fantastic Four 2015. Um, so good. But I shan't. But, but yeah, Chronicle is this feature debut. Man, it, it just depressed me about how much promise we had in these two young creators who are kind mm -hmm. of good or bad, not able to create exactly what they want right now. Yeah. And well, Max Landis can eat all the bags of dicks. I said good or bad. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but 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 Trank, I feel like I did not see. It's a he made a Bugsy Malone movie, I think. A, no, no, Bugsy Bugsy. Is that what it's called? Capone. Capone. He made Ow. an Al Capone movie with Tom Hardy. Yes, that's what he made. Yeah. Um, but okay, this, then. when I was watching that, when you were, when I was watching it then and now, I was like, yeah, I want to watch whatever this guy does again. This is pretty creative because, like, as far as found footage movies go, other than like the minor gripe I have, like, who is assembling this footage? How did you get that girl bloggers <laughs> footage together <laughs> to assemble this so deftly? Uh, outside of that, it's one of the most clever found footage movies I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It's it's wonderful. Yep. And, Gosh, uh, Josh Trike was all of 27 when he made this. Yes. I think he was trying to beat Spielberg's Jaws record because he was like tw like in his late 27s. You know, remember your oh. late 27s? <laughs> uh, no, I died because I'm a rock star. <laughs> but Chronicle, I, 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 I'm happy to say I recommend it wholeheartedly. Like it, it held up way better than I thought. It's streaming free on Tubi and uh, YouTube. And yeah. uh, since I pay for the ad-free version, I don't have to give anybody any money. That's just, just a view with no ads. So, yeah, Chronicle. Check it out if you like me. Unconventional approach to the superhero movie, which is just yeah. really getting fired up. Yeah, I, it's a good point. I hadn't thought of, yeah, they they never say, like, we're superheroes now. Let's make you outfits. I want to be called the kill guy. At no point do <laughs> they... longer. Oh, no, this is actually a prequel. <laughs> they discuss not at any point anything but beating up their enemies and stealing things that's yeah. that's how they the, they just do pranks of i'm gonna move pranks. that lady's car yes pranks <laughs> and, and we're gonna really this that describing the scene we're like and we're gonna win a talent show like what a worthless use <laughs> of flight and telekinesis but it it works in the film it's i don't know this movie i was i was real shocked by how much i i, I dug it again because yeah. i'd forgotten all about it but yeah television you already go to television. Television 2012. Okay. A Spartacus Vengeance debuts on Stars on uh, January 27th. So this is a 
not really a reboot, but Spartacus was one of the more popular shows on Stars, which, you know, is like being the tallest yes. of the seven dwarves. It's still but, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was their big hit. But then their lead actor, Andy Whitfield, who plays Spartacus, mm-hmm. yeah. died of cancer. Right. And at that point, studio is like, this is a big hit for us. We don't want it to end. So they recast Liam McKintry uh, to take on the role of Spartacus. Uh, most people think he did a pretty good job, but that it is also hard to watch half of this series with one actor as your lead right. character mm. who is in the majority of... I mean, can you imagine if half of The Sopranos had James Gandolfini and the other half had yeah. a completely different actor. Yeah, I know. I say that. Yeah. I think I mentioned that story before. I had I, I sat down with Andy Whitfield for for like an hour or two at a San Diego restaurant and had an interview with him. Like really, really, really nice guy who was not mad at me for mispronouncing his name. Um, <laughs> and and I think the the show when I was talking to him because I I had a great time with him. I hated this show. <laughs> I hated. Sp- I thought Spartacus was. We all watched it and came to work and just were laughing. And then, and then he walks through every season. <laughs> what do you mean, like winter fall? They all happened behind him, like a like a Mega Man ending, and, <laughs> and and like we're just giggling about it. But I did not like the show. But I think they even like tried to shoot around his disease and like I think there's like a prequel season, like in between there, his there final is season, a six episode prequel season that's so strange what a yeah it's dude. confusing because it's like this it's sort of the seasons all have their own name like they're yeah. a different show because i mean there's spartacus blood and sand all of them which is the all original one say, say them all but all of them sound like that ba- of the arena all of them sound like the bad next. video games every single yeah, one and then spartacus vengeance vengeance Here blood and are. sand with, with <laughs> liam mcintyre and a lot of the other people from before I see Lucy Lawless on here. She's the only one I remembered. Yeah, popping up. Well, is this is this the the uh, canonical or is this the last season or there's one no. more? Okay, War of the Damned. I see it now. Again, don't like the show. I shouldn't be the one to talk about it. But if you do want an accompaniment to the show, I would recommend the novel Arms of Nemesis uh, by Stephen Saylor. It is part of his Roman Sub Rosa story, uh, which is a mystery series set in ancient Rome with the protagonist Gordius the Finder, whose whole job is to basically to be a private detective in ancient Rome Ooh. before private detectives exist. Lucked it's out great. with that name then. Jesus. Yeah. And <laughs> I will talk about it more in November when it's its 30th anniversary. Oh, yeah. And I would recommend a movie starring Kirk Douglas directed by Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> That's right. Paths of Glory. I want to talk about Paths of Glory. <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously you should watch the original Spartacus. It's I right. love you, Spartacus. Uh, yes, yes. Watch that. Watch that. The one Stanley Kubrick movie I don't think I have in the house uh, right mm. now. It's only partially a Stanley Kubrick movie. That's why there's some scenes shot by other people, and it made him really mad. Well, it's 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 one of his few that's not with a Warner Brothers, so it's like yeah. on an MGM label or something. It's like, like a that. work for hire that he did. It is. It was... I want to keep being weird and me. I don't want to just be some guy. And that's why I'm gonna hire a commie and write a gay scene in my Spartacus. But Spartacus Vengeance uh, starts now. And uh, yeah, R.I.P. Andy Whitfield, nice guy. Glee, the episode Michael airs on January 31st and it celebrates the music of Michael Michael McDonald. Damn it, I was searched too long for a Michael name. Um, So I was really curious if they would bring up 
anything negative about Michael Jackson in this episode? And the answer is no. Yeah. Michael mm. Jackson is a saint in this episode. And all the 2012 high school students absolutely adore him as if it was the 1980s. And I don't buy that. I, I mm. remember uh, Michael Jackson's death. He hadn't had a huge hit years before his death. Yeah, His whole tour that he was planning when he was dying was going to be nothing but old stand. So I think your high school student in 2012 wouldn't have this deep connection and utter love for Michael Jackson. The, the other problem is there's a bunch of white high school students who are clearly dressing up as Michael Jackson, but mm -hmm. none of them put on face darkening makeup. So how am I supposed to know he, they're playing Michael Jackson? I mean, oh. how could I do that no. without face darkening makeup? It's, no, it's, <laughs> it's just, so you're you're saying they're making the right choice, just turn the light or they're I'm making, joking. or I'm they're joking. making a comment about how his color changed rather. No, no, obviously. I'm saying that it's stupid and dumb to wear blackface, and they don't make that decision in this episode. Thankfully, oh, thank that, that, that's. Uh, I, there's a really complicated episode of Laser Time I made about Michael Jackson to where like after that documentary came out where I feel like we all didn't want to believe it so bad that when his rich lawyers seemingly legally absolved him we were all just like all I needed to hear not not guilty not liable all I needed to hear and we ignored all that shit um, mm -hmm. because he had a sizable legacy behind him and we had some a sizable legacy with him as fans I, I when I see things like this that happen right after his death this and that game that's when I get like, oh, really? Like, we're not going to Yeah, keep, I, I don't talk about think this? you would ever see this episode made any point in the indefinite future. It's I, I crazy do not to think, think about. this could be made. I, the, the Simpsons pulled its Michael Jackson episode. Yeah, which yeah. is really creepy. Super, super creepy, uh, yes. the Simpsons episode. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes, don't like it, and I agree with them. There's a whole show about it. Leave me alone. Don't hit me up. Then on the second, we got an episode of Grey's Anatomy, if slash then. Um, and it's a wonderful life episode where what, Meredith drifts off to sleep. She reflects on what her life would be like if her mother had been if her mother had been healthy. Yeah. So this is the first episode of Grey's Anatomy I have ever watched, and choosing an episode <laughs> oh, where everything is different is not a great place to start this no. series because I'm like, okay, all of this makes sense, and then I looked it up online, and it was like, oh. Of course, none, none of, of this, this makes sense because it's the wonderful life. Oh, well, Grey's Anatomy, you did it again. You sucked in another male friend of mine, and I don't appreciate <laughs> it. But on 30 Rock, haha, one of my favorite shows, Today You Are a Man, that's the title of the episode. Is yeah. it Bar Mitzvah? Is it Werewolf Bar Mitzvah? Spooky it's a jack-off. <laughs> <laughs> Liz uses Jack's seminar on negotiating to negotiate Jack, uh, with Jack, uh, which prompts Jack to negotiate with himself in a mirror on her behalf where he accidentally loses a nego negotiation against himself. I did not expect that to be so complicated, but we do have a clip. No raise, no vacation, and from now on, you have to say go for Liz when you answer your phone. Um, hold on a sec. Come on, Lemon. I'm just doing the Sorcerer's Apprentice. You respond with a pirate holiday, and I have no choice but to play the Hillbilly Auction. It's all in the tapes. I oh, forget it. This is taking too long. I'll do both sides. If you think I won't do the show without Lemon, think again. Oh, Jack, you're bluffing. Liz, we're out of here. If you walk out that door, you'll burn every bridge she has here. It'll be back to submitting topical menopause jokes to Joy Behar by fax. Oh, please. You'd be in breach. You'd have more lawyers on you than a midtown hooker. You're all talk. It's like that time you said you'd hit on Carla Bruni in front of Sarkozy, and you totally backed down. So do you. Sorry. 
have to take this. Hello, it's me. Nice try. <laughs> Liz just sits down and eats ice cream. <laughs> oh, I love Thirty Rock. I was trying, was trying to with Dave to come up with a name for like the Tina Fey universe because I love almost every one of her shows, but they have a, mm. they all have a, the same kind of vibe that n- almost no other show has. So you're talking. Mm. We do have a best of TV episode coming up. You know, you know our year end wrap up a month late. Girls Five Eva, good show if you like Thirty Rock on on Piscock. So. Mm. Don't sleep on that. Uh, video games of 2012, January 28th through February 3rd. Woo! Final Fantasy 13-2. Man, this game was fucking wild. I, I, I just, still don't understand why it's 13-2 and not 14. Because Money. every oh. Final Fantasy game is supposed to be the Final Fantasy of a different universe area oh. entirely. And 13 was so popular. I that would they wanted think, to continue in that universe? I As think that may 10. have been the case with 10. I would guess 13 was so expensive that they uh, had to use that as, those assets and that engine and that team gotcha. again to recoup the loss. of uh, Final Fantasy 13, a game I like. I just My favorite memory of this is I'm, I loaded up. I'm playing it in front of my relatively new girlfriend, cur- current ex-girlfriend. And I'm like, I'm like a giant Shiva... <laughs> God beating up this wheel, flying through the sky at a thousand miles per hour. And she's looking at it like, she's like, you understand this? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And, and she just turned around and she said, are all games like this? I'm like, no, <laughs> thankfully they are, they are not. This is a very Final Fantasy thing. All it, like just, it was like the fastest moving thing she'd ever seen in her life. And mostly cutscenes, pretending I was playing. But did you, did you, did you have any memories of Final Fantasy 13 too? No, no. I, I do find it interesting that they threw time travel into the already convoluted yeah. world of thirteen of the Pulse like, Valley. Yeah, and uh, and and that that, and I think they took the criticism like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't introduce gameplay eight hours in a season of Spartacus <laughs> into the game, and like the gameplay starts like right away in uh, Final Fantasy thirteen two is something that has never happened in any Final Fantasy well, maybe seven. But Soul Calibur five, Soul Calibur V is also out on a PS three sixty in twenty twelve. Yeah, I think I still have a Soul Calibur fight stick from the from the launch party. And was this who were the big deal characters launching in this one? Wasn't Vader and Yoda? Um shit. Uh, you tell us, lasertimepodcast.com, <laughs> in the comments, our Facebook. Uh, I'm forgetting right now, because the game I was playing, mostly, and I still have, thanks to my, I have a 360 that I leave plugged in just for the delisted games. The Simpsons arcade game is released on Xbox Live on February 3rd, 2012, and it's removed a little over a year later, or something like that, because it's made to promotionally push EA's new Simpsons game, but the game had never had a home release, and came out in arcades in 1990. So for the it first, it had a PC release. Oh, that's right. But it's yeah, pretty terrible. Yes, it's horrible. Uh, this is the one-to-one arcade game, and it was the only legally way to buy it at the time. And then you couldn't legally buy it for ten years until the one-up cabinet. The was arcade released. one-up cabinet, which you'd like to donate to me. I think they're only they're available for a super cheap five hundred dollars at your local Walmart. No. See, I, I played this game, and it's wonderful for nostalgia i can't imagine wanting a arcade cabinet for this game in my home because how many times could you really play this game so i play this game a lot <laughs> <laughs> i do but not on, not on anything official right uh, but like you play it like 
once every five years, once every ten years. No, I'd say a couple times a year. I I, I, I have a really like strong affection for like your Arabian fight final uh, belt scrollers. They call them uh, a like yeah beat em ups. Beat em ups. I love beat em ups. I just and 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 if you have infinite continues, it's like I can play through this entire game thirty five minutes or less. Yes, Uh, and if people are over your house, like it's a great game to play with kids. Great game to play with nostalgic people your age and uh if you're like me you have kept your 360 hooked up because if you delete i don't even know if you can go re-download it um no, i don't believe you can so yeah I'm just it's sitting on a hard drive it's the only way i can play this game legally without that 500 dollars cabinet which makes me so mad because the pandemic drove up so many when i left san francisco a friend of ours was selling his his simpsons arcade cabinet for 650 dollars the arcade cabinet, arcade one up one retail is a hundred dollars more than that because <laughs> prices have gone insane with collector stuff. To answer your question, I love the color and look of this arcade. Just being a little kid walking in arcades and like, I don't know that one. Like, and then I see that big blue one that can somehow play the Simpsons theme out of it, which I'd never yeah. seen a TV mm-hmm. theme come out of any cabinet that wasn't Ninja Turtles. And it was, it blew my mind and it fills me full of happiness. Why am I talking so much about this? We have a whole game show on <laughs> 302010 games on patreon.com slash which you do with the hosts of Video Game Apocalypse, our video game show that comes out every single Friday. I think this week we're going to be talking about games that uh, went open world after not being open world. Uh, hmm. More interesting than it sounds, I promise. And uh, you can hear those guys all over the Patreon in some recent episodes because we do we talk longer about the games in here. We're going to try and find a way to get JR in on that and not make a six-hour stupid monthly 302010 game show. <laughs> New episodes of Laser Time are coming at you real hot and fast. Best of movies, best of television. Tell a friend about 302010, maybe. Think about joining our Patreon. Think about following Diana on Twitter. Yeah, you can follow me at listenernerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, 302010podcast. Count up next week. All right, we got some blockbusters time finally. Ooh. A lot of people going to jungles and fighting <laughs> next week. We have Sean Connery going to a jungle. We've got Arnold Schwarzenegger's going to a jungle. Oh, better. We've got... Dwayne Johnson going to a jungle or maybe a mysterious island. I don't know. We got a bunch of Denzel everywhere. Yeah, things are picking up. This was an oddly quiet week. Um, Now there will be gunfire and explosions, I promise. Damn it. None of these were the movies I wanted them to be. (laughs) Was she describing Predator? Tune in next week. See if that movie came out in a year that ends with two. Because uh, it did not. And JR, where can people see more of you? Hear more. Uh, They can find me on the Twitter at JR. R-A-L-L-S. I also host a podcast called Talking Terrific Television, a chronological examination of The Sopranos. And in this week's episode, Bobby gains a house after almost losing an eye while (laughs) Vito leaves Johnny Cakes without saying goodbye. Johnny Cakes. He he might regret that, but I'm sure he'll be there till the finale. Who died this week, Dime? Oh, man. Well, in 1992 is when we lost blues legend Willie Dixon, who's 76. He's probably the biggest name in chicago blues in history he's very instrumental in blues migrating into rock and roll uh hoochie coochie man spoonful backdoor man all the good shit can somebody out there verify diana didn't just make all those song titles up (laughs) (laughs) yep big red rooster no um (laughs) the the mcdonald land shuffle I, uh, I, i told you last week i listened to johnny otis's radio show where he just play all this like really really early rock and roll stuff and so that's like how i got to hear all this stuff like willie D- dixon and uh, muddy waters and shit man uh, i was born a poor black child uh... <laughs> and then we lost 
Somebody for everyone here. Uh, in 2012, we lost Don Cornelius, who was 75, the host of Soul Train. Yeah, just barely bled God. over my childhood. Oh, uh, yeah. Go back and just watch him just for the dancing and for the outfits and the hair. Oh, my God. I, I told you I grew to resent him because that meant the end of Saturday morning cartoons in my local uh, market. Uh, we also lost Ben Gazzara, who was 81. He was, you know, a stage actor mostly, but worked a lot with John Cassavetes and is also in Big Lebowski and the bad guy in Roadhouse. Just because. Why not? <laughs> uh, and speaking of uh, porn mongers who live on the beach, Zalman King also died, who was 69. Excuse me? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> He's the guy who gave us Red Shoe Diaries. Oh, great. Associated ah. things. Ah, finally, me and my mom can masturbate to the same thing. The king of softcore. <laughs> we'll miss him. I'm so happy he died at 69. Just like, if he died at any other age, I'd be so sad. Seriously. And it... So now the death's out of the way. Birthday quiz. Bu -bu -bu birthday. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Oh, All right, we're still waiting for Jr. Yeah. To come in here. Yeah. I got good feelings. Not doing great. Come on, I feel like you gotta you gotta break the streak. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for you now. No, maybe I'm, she's rigging I'm, it for you. I'm gonna start rigging it to make it harder for Chris. Oh. Because there actually is something in here that, yeah, I'll talk about it when we're done. Turning 41 this week, born January 28th, 1981 in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where his parents ran a deli. Let me list some of the directors this guy has worked with. David Fincher, Barry Levinson, Mike Figgis, Robert Zemeckis, Richard Donner, Rob Reiner, Ang Lee, Robert Rodriguez, Peter Jackson, Michelle Gondry, George Miller, and Ad-Rock. <laughs> also, he's produced... Mandy, the greasy stranger in color out of space. Uh, Lodger Wood. Damn! Yeah, you Damn got it. it. Ah. Damn it. I... Greasy Strangler. People, don't sleep on that film. Don't look <laughs> up what it's about. Just watch it tomorrow. And Mandy is wonderful. Yeah. You see how I rigged it? Because yeah. now I'm going to list all the movies. And I put Back to the Future Part 2 at the bottom. <laughs> because I knew Chris would know that one. Because that is it's like a baby's video. game. Yep. Also, the, his work with David Fincher is the... the video for forever your girl by paul abdul that's like his first big break <laughs> yeah but he's worked with fincher it's fucking true love this guy <laughs> we've talked about him in internal affairs avalon paradise bobby parisia tem nine the animated one not the musical deep impact the faculty happy feet one and two back to the future two ice storm and of course fellowship of the rings i think he needs to teach a class on how to transition out of child acting he's done an amazing job like Him and daniel radcliffe they should have that yeah. what's that great seminars thing a masterclass. <laughs> masterclass. A masterclass. A masterclass would only be about how they're different people. This is heroin. <laughs> Don't do it. I, Are you I, sure you're not Elijah Wood? I'm not Elijah Wood. I, I feel like the <laughs> highest praise I could give Elijah Wood, it's not only if I had a career making movies, I wish it was his. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind trading places with him just because mm. I like his I like everything he's done his entire life. Even North. And no. and and uh, even and his recent stuff is even better, and the stuff he's producing is great. Come to Daddy, if you didn't see that, that's a fucking weird one. Uh, yeah, he's obviously into like weird. He's into kinds movies. Of horror. Yeah, that's what he tends to produce. Yeah, like yeah, Mandy and Maniac was just and Maniac. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I love. I I think I I'm fine saying it. I love Elijah Wood. He is great. He is yeah. goddamn great. He should happy be happy birthday. I consider this a, a Gen X knighting. You Elijah Wood. <laughs> No, I'm. I think I'm cuspy millennial. Anywho, uh, you're a millennial. Am I? Sorry. I feel like it. I think you're the, you're the oldest millennial, and I'm like the youngest Gen X. Yeah, yeah, that probably so, checks out. Yeah, I think millennials start in 1980. So, 
1980. I'm Empire Strikes Back. That's been our show. Um, check us out on our other endeavors. Laser Time, Video Game Apocalypse, Talking Terrific Television, and Diana's Twitter. And <laughs> do we occasionally annoy Diane into being on an episode of Laser Time every once in a while. I'm baffled. <laughs> we haven't heard any Oscar nominations. So I'm wondering if like our thing this year is not going to happen. No, it's all been pushed back. Oscar nominations are coming in like two weeks. Okay. So but I've... then the Oscars aren't going to be until like towards the end of March. It's going to okay. be weird, yo. And it's going to be weird. You think? I mean, Best Picture is going to be, you know, out of 10. And it's like, I can I can barely name 10 movies this year. So. I'm telling you, I think I, I start with Nicolas Cage's Pig. It's on Hulu. My yep. favorite movies of the year. I think he deserves something for that. So really like that. Uh, you can hear us talk about it more in Laser Time. I'm done plugging. Uh, let's close out of the show with, uh, yeah, little uh, Willie Dixon, which... Yeah. Always makes me laugh because I feel like it kind of has Dick in there twice. I can't judge a book by its cover. Sorry. I forgot. I remembered why. I was playing a game with your husband, and I forgot four years ago, I try and sneak naughty words through the game filter so they don't, they don't block my name. Mm-hmm. And I settled on one, and my last name was B-U-T-T-E, and my first name was Dixon. And I hadn't, I, I had not seen the name in five years. And I'm playing with your husband, and he just says Dixon Butt. (laughs) Forgot I did that at a very immature 36. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, but we'll don't you can't do book by its cover. Willie Dixon's taking us out. We'll see you next week. Bye. Can't judge apple by looking at a tree. You can't judge honey by looking at the bee. Book by looking at the cover. Oh, can't you see?